Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, the podcast with one host about one console, the Xbox One. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of June 18th, 2020, including the enemy team has revealed the PlayStation 5 this past week, along with a bunch of upcoming next-generation games. AT&T is reportedly looking to sell WB Interactive Entertainment. EA has announced a new Star Wars game. All that and more. So earlier this week, I was just, I don't know, going down like the rabbit hole thoughts in my head. And uh, I was thinking about how a lot of, you know, video game podcasts or nerd culture podcasts will do that thing where like, you know, they start a show about video games or Nintendo or PlayStation or whatever. And then a couple of years later, they'll cultivate an audience and then like do another podcast about a more general or broad kind of uh, nerd culture or like nostalgic culture kind of topic or something like that. Or just more of a general talk show where it's like other voices of nerd culture coming together to just kind of shoot shit and talk about whatever. And I was thinking about, you know, just like thinking about, oh, you know, those kind of podcasts are probably a lot of fun because it affords you the opportunity to kind of talk about whatever's on your minds and, and with people who like similar things rather than just like always talking about one specific topic. So I was just kind of thinking about that, like how it's probably a kind of fun topic or podcast style to do. Not that I'm looking to start another podcast at all, but what I did come to the conclusion of is that uh, if I were to hypothetically ever have a podcast like that, I did name it. You know, I thought, you know, a lot of those podcasts – you know, it's like kind of funny and stuff like they'll have a PlayStation podcast or video game podcast, but then they have like a podcast where it's just like video game people talking about whatever's going on in pop culture or whatever. And so I was like, oh, you know, if I had one of those podcasts, I'd probably name it Outside the Box or Thinking Outside the Box, right? Because the main podcast that started all was Xbox On. And so the next podcast about like a more broad, you know, slew of ideas and topics in, in the general uh, realm of nerd culture and, and stuff like that could be like thinking outside the box but also play on xbox I, I thought that was a really cool name for a podcast that i'm absolutely never going to do but yeah i'm telling you guys that now my girlfriend did not seem she she seemed less than amused by that idea and by that name but i thought i'd share that with you for no reason at all and with that said well we have a lot to talk about this week uh, i definitely want to preface with this we are going to talk a lot about Sony's event last week in the PlayStation 5 because even though it's not technically Xbox news, I think especially when you're talking about next generation hardware, I think everything one is doing is really relevant to the other. So, you know, if this were a PlayStation podcast, we'd be talking about Xbox Series X a lot and whenever Xbox does, you know, events about their upcoming console. So for this show, we're, I, I want to do a similar thing where we're going to talk about Sony's PlayStation 5 event because it seems, you know, it's like it's so important to the to the competition in, in in the Xbox sphere that it's almost like pretty like Xbox news directly in a way to talk about this event. So we're definitely going to get into that today. So if you're looking forward to that, we're going to get an Xbox uh, perspective on Sony's stupid internet router console that's so dumb and is underpowered and is stupid. And so look forward to that. And then before we really get into this week's show, I or to regular kind of routine segments, I do want to do just a little bit of a rant on game clock accuracy. And so, you know, I, I was talking about how I'm going through my kind of annual gotta play Destiny phase. And I one thing I really love, especially with games like Destiny or Halo or like games where I know I come back to and I play a lot of hours of, is like I kinda like 
constantly checking on my total hours played and kind of being proud of that. It's, it's fun to me, you know, to be like, oh, man, I I just got through playing a bunch of Halo 5 this week. I've been in the mood for Halo 5 lately, you know. I wonder how many hours I put into Halo 5 in total since it came out in, t- in 2015. Oh, let's take a look. Oh, look, I, I am over 100 and something hours in the game. Like, I, I love doing that kind of thing. So that's a that's a metric I, I really like to take you know, note of. And one thing I really love about Xbox is if you ever go to the achievements tabs, every game has its own stats that Xbox Live kind of keeps track of. And for every game, it's a little different. But most games, unfortunately not all, but most games do uh, keep track of how many hours you've put into the game. And I really love that 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 stat. But for whatever reason, I swear to God, I'm not going crazy. The, the stat, maybe it's just my profile or maybe it's Destiny in general, but the stat for Destiny 2 is completely fucking broken. It must be my profile. I, there's no way this is everyone's situation, but it, it, the stat's completely broken because for the past two years, it said I've only put 58 hours into Destiny 2, and it keeps driving. It's like so arbitrary, but it's driving me up the wall because I'm like, I know I put way more than 58 hours into Destiny 2. And in fact, I even made a point because like the other week, I was like, all right, well, I'm going to take a rough count of how many hours I put into Destiny 2 this week, and then and then add it to the 58 and see what it comes with, and see see if it's like accurately counting my hours in the game. And so, you know, I started at 58 hours at the beginning of the week, and then throughout the week, I played roughly 17 hours of Destiny 2. I played a lot of Destiny 2 from like Friday to from Friday to Friday, basically, and then. I noticed by the you know by the time we reached that one week mark, I'm like, oh look at that! It still says 58 hours. There's no fucking way, you know, that I'm just that I'm just overestimating how much I put in, put into this game. So it's really pissing me off that that stat is broken. So I looked up, you know, is there a website? Can I go on Bungie.net and track my hours? And apparently, there's a popular website called like Time Wasted on Destiny, where you plug in like your PSN or Xbox Live profile, and it tells you how long you've poured into each account on Destiny, which is awesome. It's really cool. And I plugged in my profile. And it was, like, more accurate, but still incorrect. It was, like, 62 hours or something like that. I'm like, there's no way, you know. I played, like, 15-plus hours of Destiny this past week. There's no way I've only added, like, four hours to my to my clock count. And I understand a lot of these things, like, it doesn't track time in loading screens or when you're, like, in the tower or during certain segments. It only counts, you know, the clock's only running if you're, like, in an activity, not if it's paused or something like that. I, I get that. But I wasn't spending too much time paused or in loading screens or in the tower or anything like that. I was in the game shooting shit, playing the game as it's meant to be played, and my clock still just says, like, on Xbox 58 hours and on this website 62 and it's driving me crazy and I just wanted to use this podcast as a platform to rant about that because apparently I think that's a significant event a significant enough occurrence in the world right now that you all need to hear about my inaccurate playtime count on Xbox Live but that's what's really been getting me this uh, as of late and I want to hear your thoughts and opinions I know I'm not crazy I know a lot of gamers really do take a lot of pride and just kind of admiration. It's not something you have to post on social media and brag about, but it's it's the thing like kind of for you and yourself, right? To look at the games you play the most and you admire the most and be like, oh, wow, it's really fun to look at how many hours I poured into this and just kind of appreciate that. I enjoy this game so much, I was willing to dedicate X amount of hours of my life to it. And it's, it's a fun thing to keep up with. And, you know, I, the stat works just fine when I look at my Halo 5 or Disney Infinity stat, but goddamn, when I check Destiny, it's just like, yeah, 58 hours. Yeah, enjoy it. I could get like I could get to like a million hours and it would still be like 58 and it's just driving me nuts. So had to get that off my chest. But 
With that said, we will jump into our comments and shoutouts and whatnot from last week's episode. You know, I've been getting a lot of suggestions privately and publicly from a lot of the audience saying, you know, I think one way you can make the show a lot better would be if you started like doing magic tricks and stuff on the show. I don't know why multiple people have suggested that at this point, guys. It's an audio podcast, so without the visual element, I don't know how fun it would be for me to do magic tricks, but I I greatly appreciate that feedback. I'm not going to read any of those comments on the show, but just know to the many of you commenting, suggesting that I start doing magic tricks as as a a regular part of the show, I hear you. I think it sounds cool. It's just not practical for an audio-only podcast, but you are heard. I, I do see you there. All right. Our first normal comment comes from Mr. Lethal Migraine, who who says in regards to the Sony show from last week, he goes, How bad was the Sony stream? Cartoon games on a Wi-Fi router for a console. How pathetic are they? Laughing emoji. Lethal Migraine, I don't think I'm as down on this stream as you were. I'm sure a lot of... I, I, that's, first of all, of course, it's your opinion. You're, you're entitled to it, and it's a valid opinion. You're more than welcome to feel how you feel. And I saw that a lot of people did kind of have a, sim- have a similar reaction to the show. Show, but honestly, I'm, I personally couldn't disagree more to be, you know, to be polite and kind about it. I just, I don't know. I just, that wasn't my takeaway. My personal takeaway was I thought Sony put on a really good show, all things considered. Now, it was flawed. I think the show was way too long. I think it, it really didn't elegantly toe the line of like, playfully teasing you with the console reveal i think it was a little too like dicking you along throughout the whole show because you got to keep in mind like sony already waited way too fucking long to reveal this thing so the fact that they did like an hour plus you know show revealing games leading up to the reveal of the box and then the whole time they still just fucking strung you along i thought that was more obnoxious than anything and it pissed me off i think you know they relied really heavily on third-party games which i don't think they're getting enough shit for and i i only say they're not getting enough shit because if microsoft holds a press conference or a media briefing where they do you know show new games and it's predominantly third parties they get shit on so this is a little bit of that typical double-edged double standard you know for for microsoft where you know they can't get away with anything without being criticized but sony can do this no one bats an eye so whatever i that's not that's not really a slight on sony that's a slight on the kind of public perception and the general kind of cultural reaction and in in attitude towards sony um so that kind of pissed me off a little bit but i thought they uh showed a pretty decent amount of games they showed pretty good variety of games i thought the console looks in my opinion a little cool although that's highly subjective but ultimately who gives a shit what the box looks like because you're going to forget about it anyway while you're playing games but i understand it's a really divisive design it's a very bold and striking design and it's a very it's the kind of design that really demands strong opinions you know it's not like i think ps4 was a pretty elegant design i actually really like the design of the ps4 you know it's like a box but the front and back side has this little this little slant to it which i think is very tasteful it's a really nice design i really liked the ps4 a lot the ps5 is like as far away from the ps4 design as you can possibly get whereas like the ps4 is like simple elegant with a tiny like a subtle twist to make it have a kind of iconic and individual design whereas the ps5 is like trying so hard to make you see that it's a different design and see that it's like striking and something unrelated to the last thing it's like i i I think really sony's sony's whole philosophy to the design of the design aesthetic of the playstation 5 both the console and the controller is really part of their reaction to microsoft whereas microsoft's going you know we're we're blending the the line between you know generations we're trying to make the next generation of xbox more seamless and from now on xbox is just xbox it's not about generation 
generation one, two, three with hard cutoffs for compatibility. And that's really Microsoft's thing is driving that whole everything is paired together and nothing, no one's held back depending on what hardware they're on. Sony is trying so hard to differentiate the PS5 by doing just the opposite by saying, hey, the PS5 is absolutely not the PS4. Note how it has very limited backwards compatibility and it's all about cutting off the PS4 and moving on to the PS5 and about how games are supposed to take advantage of the new hardware and the new hardware alone. We're not supposed to think about the past and bring that stuff with us. And Sony's very, very much trying to do the exact opposite of Microsoft in terms of marketing. And I think it's kind of smart because at the end of the day, I think only one of these philosophies will really reign supreme. So it's kind of smart for them to each take different approaches because at the end of the day, one of them is going to win and one of them is going to lose. So I, I get that philosophy, but I think the design for PlayStation 5 really is in inspired from that train of thought where like they're like how can we make sure people know the playstation 5 is not the playstation 4 because look at the xbox series x i get that it doesn't look like the xbox one x or c or 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 one s because of its you know its shape it's like a tower pc but if you look at like the matte finish and the xbox logo and a lot of it a lot of its design philosophy and aesthetic is very reminiscent of the Xbox One generation, it's very similar. They didn't they didn't really reinvent the the wheel. And look at the Xbox Series X controller. It's the Xbox One controller, just shrunk down a tiny bit with an added share button. It's very much you know within the same design design philosophy. They're not trying to reinvent the Xbox brand with the design of this console. But Sony, on the other hand, is absolutely trying to do that. Everything from the controller to the box of the PS5 looks nothing like the PS4, and I think that's very deliberate because they want you to know. Hey, we're, we're making that distinction. We're trying to tell you PlayStation 4 is over. PlayStation 5 is here. We're not Xbox. We're not trying to tell you you can play everything on every console and it's all about, you know, bringing generations together. We're not doing that. So I, I, from the perspective of why people are so torn on the design of the console, I think Sony did it very intentionally and it was for that reason. But at the end of the day, you know, these are things we always forget about at the end. People laughed at Nintendo because Wii is a stupid name and Wii U is a stupid name. Xbox One is a stupid name. Xbox Series X is a stupid name. PlayStation 5 has a dumb look. The Boomerang controller for PS3 is a dumb look. The Wii Remote Nunchuck is so stupid. All these things. But after a while, you get acclimated with it and then you just forget about it. You just, you don't care anymore. So eventually the PS5 isn't going to be a Wi-Fi router. It's just going to be a meme lost to time. And the PS5 is just going to be a console that sits on people's entertainment centers. They forget about what it looks like, and it just doesn't matter because they're more concerned with playing Spider-Man Miles Morales or Ratchet and Clank, you know, than they are with how their console looks. So I understand everyone's entitled to their opinion. I think the console looks... I don't think it looks, like, super awesome. I think it looks kind of cool. Chris Raygun, the, the YouTuber guy, I think he put it best when he said the PlayStation 5 design like quite literally looks like what PlayStation 4 fake renders looked like in 2008 like when people would try to trick people and saying like oh here's a here's a leaked render of what the PS4 looks like and it was like some photoshop bullshit like that's kind of what the PS5 looks like as if like that faked photoshop shit was actually real instead of you know, just a, a fan-made render. So, and I agree with that completely. I think that's exactly what it looks like, but I kind of think that's for the better just because it's 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 wacky. It's it's one of the more out there kind of designs we've seen for a mainstream piece of tech. So I'm, I'm into it just for the um, the kind of novel appeal of it all, but we'll get more into that, that stream and that event in a little bit. But I do appreciate you coming in with your opinion, Lethal Migraine. You're more welcome to it. I think at the end of the day, we can all agree that regardless of what a console looks like or what games it has, we all know Xbox Series X is going to be better than PS5 because 
not because it's definitively or objectively better, but because we're all Xbox fans and we know we love Xbox and we know Microsoft is in probably the best place they've ever been in terms of just really listening to and, and catering to this audience and this fandom. And I think we're all really winning right now as we approach the Xbox Series X generation. So let's uh, let's continue to try. And I mean, it's OK if you have negative thoughts towards Sony or the PlayStation fan base. That's fine. But you're more than welcome to think the box looks stupid or the games are uninteresting. That's your opinion. You're welcome to it. But let's also try to double down and keep our positivity on the Xbox Series X because at the end of the day, that's the more important one of these two boxes, or at least I assume it is if you're listening to the show because if you're listening to the show, you're probably an Xbox fan. Better just keep our keep our focus on the exciting stuff coming from Xbox and less so the... Um, the kind of potential or opportunity to engage in console war like behavior not to not to accuse you of that i don't think you are i think again you're more than within your rights to say what you said our next comment here comes from mr limber bond who's been commenting regularly as of late thank you for that he says i am still holding out hope for halo wars 3 one of my most played games this generation closing in on 2000 matches played keep up the great work uh, he's, of course, referring to our story last week that 343 is looking into making or they're actively developing a kind of side game in the Halo universe, presumably. Man, I I mean, like I said on the show, don't hold out hope for Halo Wars 3. I totally get why you are. I totally get why people love Halo Wars. I think Halo Wars is severely underappreciated. I wish it sold better. I wish it got better critical reception. Mostly, I just wish it sold better because it's a really great game. It's It's not... And it's not a great game because it's a it's a great Halo game or because it is Halo and I'm a Halo fanboy because I am a Halo fanboy. But it's a great game because it truly is a great RTS. And I honestly think one thing Halo Wars doesn't get enough credit for is if Halo, you know, Combat Evolved was the game that really cemented that first person shooters, that the first person shooter genre had a home and belonged on the console market and in the console space, then I think... Halo Wars as a sub franchise did the exact same thing for the real time strategy genre where I think, you know, there are a lot of good, you know, pretty good uh, real time strategy games on console. I think, you know, some of those Command and Conquer games, Civilization Revolution, some some of those games, there are some, you know, there are some good RTS games on the home console. Not, not to say that there haven't ever been any, but I really think Halo Wars 1 was the best example of how to make a real-time strategy game work on a on a home console gamepad and i think halo wars 2 really holds up all of those same design philosophies and all those all those uh all the things that made that game click i think are brought forward in halo wars 2 and so it's really quite unfortunate that halo wars doesn't get the recognition and appreciation it deserves for doing that in the way that halo combat evolved did the same for first person shooters but then i also recognize that the RTS genre is super niche, and it's really predominantly a PC thing. I understand, you know, console usually caters more to, like, general gaming markets, not more of the hardcore stuff like like these kind of nerdier genres like RTSs and things like that. So I understand that's a, a genre that's kind of, like, just predisposed to do better on in the PC space. But still, I mean... Halo Wars games are on PC, or at least now they are, and they still didn't do that well. So a little, a little too unfortunate. I think another reason for that is probably just because Halo Wars Two came out kind of at the peak of the MOBA genre and I, a whole craze, the League of Legends and whatnot. And I think the problem is that kind of genre, I think, really took the steam out of the RTS genre. It's kind of like how you know the battle royale genre is really taken. With the exception of like Call of Duty and stuff like that, the hero shooters and the battle royales have really taken a lot of the steam out of your more traditional like 
deathmatch domination kind of shooters like your Call of Duty, Halo, that kind of like Xbox 360 era multiplayer game. So I think that has a lot to do with why Halo Wars 2 kind of flew under the radar. It was a genre that was starting to wane in popularity and relevance. Uh, But I really don't think we should hold out hope for Halo Wars 3. I think whatever it is, it's going to be stealth oriented or third person action or first person shooter. Something a little more close a little closer to the to the realm of like what a traditional halo is more of a you know more of a slight deviation in genre than than something as as starkly different as a rts but i i hope i'm wrong and that you're right because i would love for there to be a halo wars 3 i would love to have specifically the halo wars 2 story continued um in another halo wars proper so our next comment here is from mr seth weiss who says hey first time commenting i love your shit well thank you seth but you really shouldn't be looking into the toilet bowl after I'm done with my, my personal business. But he, he continues onward. He says, after watching the PlayStation event, what games are you maybe a tad bit jealous uh, to not be getting on Xbox? Mine is Ratchet and Clank. I played so much as a kid, and Demon's Souls looks pretty wild as well. Well, thank you for commenting, Seth. Welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have you here listening and commenting. That's, you know, what I encourage you all to do. I, your support means nothing to me if you're not telling me I do a good job in commenting, so... Thank you, Seth. You are now one of the few elite that I like. But to your comment, actually, I think you kind of already touched on my response as well. I'm right there with you. Ratchet and Clank is a series that I played so much as a kid. Uh, the very first Ratchet and Clank game was my first PS2 game that I fell in love with. I remember I really only gave a shit about the Nintendo GameCube when I was a kid back during that generation until I saw Ratchet and Clank, and then that changed everything. I had to play PS2 once I once I saw Ratchet and Clank. And lucky for me, PS2 was the only current generation console we had back then, so I had the platform to play it on. And so, yeah, I I fell in love with Ratchet & Clank so fast, and I had already loved the Spyro games. And so I remember Insomniac being one of the very first examples of me as a kid kind of being cognizant of what I knew as the games industry as, like, you know, developers and, like, who makes games and who owns rights to games and what games belong to what platforms. And Ratchet & Clank is, you know, aside from, of course, the obvious one like Mario, Ratchet & Clank is one of the very first examples of, like, me being cognizant of, like, who a developer is and and that this game is a console exclusive and all that. And Ratchet and Clank, I think is the game that really made me love the PlayStation platform, which is crazy because actually my, a little bit of a break, like, background on my upbringing as a gamer xbox is like the 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 platform i came to last and it's so ironic that it's the one i love the most because it's it's the one that i technically have no right like i have no nostalgic tie to or reason to love it as much as i do i just love it because i really love xbox like my my earliest memories gaming you know was like i was too young to really play but i was watching my older brother and my neighbor play like my neighbor's super nintendo i'd watch him play super mario world but i didn't really play it a lot I'd watch my older siblings play, like, Oregon Trail and shit on PC. And then, you know, when I was around four or five, my brother got a Game Boy Color and got Super Mario Deluxe. And so that's kind of my first memory gaming is Game Boy Color. And then after that would be the PlayStation 1 because my my parents bought a PlayStation 1 for me and all my siblings to share when I was a kid. So really my introduction to console gaming was the PlayStation 1 and handheld gaming was the Game Boy Color. And that's kind of what I grew up on. Me and my siblings played like Tomb Raider and, and Spyro and Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. And those were like my first real serious gaming memories of not just watching games, but like getting my hands on games. And then from there, I really grew to be a Nintendo kid. Like like I, I, I got an N64 when it was like older and cheaper. And like my family got a PlayStation 2 for Christmas when it came out. So like we played PS2 games and like... Honestly, we didn't even get our first Xbox until right before the 360 came out. My brother mowed lawns for a summer and bought a used Xbox original off 
one of his friends. And that was my introduction to like Halo one and two. I played them. I played them probably first. I think it was 2004. I played Halo. It was like right when Halo two came out, I played one and two and fell in love with Halo, but didn't really give a shit about Xbox otherwise. And so it's just, I, that's a whole like a lot of unnecessary backstory, but I guess what I'm just trying to say is that somehow I became an Xbox fan through all of this. And but my earliest memories of like really falling in love with gaming is like Spyro the Dragon, which is of course Insomniac, and then they made Ratchet and Clank. So like that kind of segue from like what they used to work on to what they currently work on at the time. And then of course, as they went on to do Resistance and you know like um, Spider Man on PS4 and and Sunset Overdrive on Xbox One, it's just kind of the incubation and the beginning of my love and appreciation for Insomniac as a developer. I'll say to this day, no matter, I don't give a shit like how much I love Xbox or whatever, like Insomniac will forever be, even though they don't make like my top three favorite games, they'll always be one of my absolute favorite game developers. I think their CEO, their their head, Ted Price, I think he's just one of the most fascinating and interesting and enlightening minds in the, gaming, in the games industry. I adore every game they've ever made. They just continue to make incredibly awesome games and in there one of those studios that's really kind of embodies the spirit of like the best of nintendo where their games really are focused on like how can we create fun mechanics and then create a world around fun gameplay loops and mechanics and i think ratchet and clank and sunset overdrive more so than any other games they've ever made really embody that spirit the most because ratchet and clank is all about super fun platforming and like super kinetic frantic and goofy gunplay and I don't think Xbox has anything like that, with the exception of Sunset Overdrive, which is, of course, an Insomniac game. And now that PlayStation owns Insomniac, I know we're never going to get that again. So that's Ratchet and Clank alone is like, or just Insomniac as a developer alone is the thing that's like, as long as they exist, as long as Insomniac is a developer, they're always going to be the thing that keeps me buying every PlayStation console. Because even though at the end of the day, I care far more about Halo and Xbox and Phil Spencer and all his friends and what they're doing, at the end of the day, I'm always going to have such a soft spot for Ratchet and Clank and Insomniac. And of course, with that said, you know, I'm kind of leaving it out here. Spider-Man Miles Morales, the other game I'm equally as excited to play when it comes to, you know, PS5 games because PS4 Spider-Man was super awesome. I think, honestly, I think PS4 Spider-Man is just a tad overrated for the simple fact that I think Sunset Overdrive is a better game and that it's it's kind of fr- it's kind of um fun traversal with like grinding on like on like phone wires and running on walls and like jumping and shit on cityscapes. I think that felt more fluid and kinetic and fun than Spider-Man's kind of web swinging and wall crawling does. And that's no disrespect to Spider-Man. Spider-Man feels really great, but I think Sunset Overdrive actually felt a little better. And it makes me really sad because Sunset Overdrive is such a criminally underrated game. It's such an underplayed game. I think without a doubt, I've said on this show before, Sunset Overdrive is the most underrated and underplayed Xbox One game period. I don't care what you say number one most underrated game on xbox one sunset overdrive it's a crying shame more people didn't play it it was a phenomenal game definitely definitely the best game of 2014 just such a crying shame more people didn't play it and i think it's better i think it was actually better than spider-man ps4 but that being said i'm still super excited for spider-man miles morales for clarification a lot of people were worried about were confused about this it's kind of like a 1.5 entry it's not a dlc it is a standalone game but it's um it's kind of like uncharted lost legacy where it's like a smaller scale kind of sequel 1.5 game it's not the proper sequel, like there will be a Spider-Man 2, but Miles Morales is like the game, the stopgap in between 1 and 2. So might even be like a $40, $50 game instead of a $60 game, but 
that doesn't make me any less excited for it. I thought Miles Morales was probably the most interesting character in Spider-Man PS4, and I'm really excited to play as him and see more of his story. So I'm really excited overall for those two games. That was a really long-winded way to answer your question, but I was excited to geek out a little bit for my love of Insomniac on this show because they are a developer I just love so very much, and uh, PlayStation will always have relevance in my heart as long as Insomniac's around. So, And to your point about Demon's Souls, man, it's funny you say Ratchet & Clank because I couldn't agree with you anymore on Ratchet & Clank, and I couldn't agree with you any less on Demon's Souls because no disrespect for, to you, I'm glad you're excited for that. I hope you enjoy it a lot. Demon's Souls, Darksiders, or Dark Souls, all that stuff, that is like as far away from my type of game as you could possibly get. But that being said, I think Sony did have a lot of other great games, which we'll get into in a little bit with our first news story. And then our final few comments here are shocky comes in and says, enjoyed it. Are you a fan of Gears of War? What do you see for the future of Gears of War? Well, Shocky, actually, I am a, f- a fan of Gears of War, but if I'm being really honest with you, actually, this is something I've, I've hesitated to ever bring up on the show because I feel like I, I don't have the right to host an Xbox show if I admit this, but I actually really was not a fan of Gears of War for the longest time until the fourth one came out, but I've since gone back and played, I said the whole franchise, I actually still haven't, really don't want to admit this, but I still haven't played Gears of War 3, and I know there's a lot of like, what the fuck are you even saying right now? But yeah, I mean, I played Gears of War when it first came out. I thought it wasn't my thing. I just didn't give a shit about it. I didn't like how like dark and gray it was. I I was part of that like whole like too many games about like meathead army boys. I didn't really give a shit about it back then. And I really tried hard to enjoy it because my friends liked it. So like I remember like the first one, I stayed up all night at my friend's house and we played through the first one on co-op like when I was in middle school or something. And I was like, okay, it was fun enough just because I was, you know, hanging out with a friend doing a couch co-op style. But then we tried to jump into Gears of War 2 when that came out. And I was immediately like, you know what, man, this is this is too much. This is one was enough. I don't need to do this again. And so I just dropped the series there for the longest time and didn't come back until Gears 4, where I thought the Coalition did a really good job of kind of soft rebooting the universe. And not in the fact that, you know, they changed history or something, but like in the fact that I think... I think the new cast of characters in the Gears of War franchise are a lot more humanized and relatable and enjoyable than the original characters. I really like Del, JD, and Kate a lot more than like Marcus and uh, Dom and and, and the the original crew, which I know is kind of like blasphemous. This is kind of like turn off this podcast, fuck this guy, not a real Xbox fan. I I understand if you feel that way. That just was kind of my feeling on Gears of War, but I've since gone back and replayed the first two, and I was actually going to play replay three pretty recently but kind of became one of those games that like fell off my immediate list and I feel really bad about it because I've had Gears of War 3 spoiled to me up and down you know I know about the big spoilers the big things that happen with like with Dom's death and everything but I really do need to get around to that game I feel truly bad about that but I really I don't know now in retrospect I think Gears of War 1 is a very important game for its time I still think Gears of War 1 and 2 are you know I like them a lot better now as a 25 year old than I did when I was younger but I still think that they're just not a hundred percent like my favorite thing I definitely like them a lot more now I think they're very enjoyable from a gameplay perspective I think Marcus is a really cool and interesting character and I really do enjoy enjoy kind of the bromance of the original cast but I still really think that the coalition is doing a better job with Gears now than than Epic did with Gears back in the old days and I really love Gears 4 and 5 um Except for the kind of cliffhanger, you you decide the ending kind of thing they did in Gears 5. I really enjoyed the gameplay, the kind of modernization of the formula, while kind of really keeping the whole formula intact. And, and just the newer character and the new story arcs a lot more. So I am definitely a bigger fan of Gears of War now than I ever was. And I really look forward to what they do next. I think, honestly... 
the next Gears of War game is probably going to be just Gears 6. I suspect we'll see that probably around 2022. And then, of course, you know, we got Gears Tactics coming to the Xbox One later this year. So I assume that will also be on Series X, to be honest. But honestly, I think Gears of War is in a very different place from, you know, its parallel, which is Halo. Because those are, of course, the two biggest franchises for Xbox or Gears and Halo. But they're in kind of a different space because, you know, and I don't mean any ill will towards 343. I love Halo. I think 343 has done a great job with Halo. And I think they're in a kind of tough spot where they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. Because Halo, I think, needed to evolve in some ways and they needed to take some liberties with the franchise and i think with halo 4 they made a lot of little mistakes with the formula although the story is phenomenal and i think in halo 5 they correct all of those mistakes with the formula and i think they really perfect the game from a gameplay perspective i truly love halo 5 but Halo's in this weird position where they've now fractured the fan base so much with halo that you know you've got like old fans that hate halo now you've got newer fans that love it now and think it got better from how it used to be and then you just got a bunch of people who are just kind of like they've grown out of halo or just kind of don't care about anymore i think i see halo very much especially now that we've had a long time since a proper halo release i see it very much the same way we saw like the legend of zelda series right before breath of the wild came out where i i truly think if halo infinite comes out and it kind of Breath of the Wilds, the formula of Halo, if they can kind of somehow capture that magic or the equivalency of it for a Halo game, I truly think that they can make Halo as you know massive and relevant as it once was again. But I think it's a lot harder for 343 to pull that off, and there's a lot more working against them than there was for Nintendo to make that happen with Zelda. Because I think with Zelda, it's like a franchise where everyone wants to love Halo, and, and I'm getting somewhere. This is connected to Gears, I promise. But I think everyone wants to love Halo, but everyone also wants to hate Xbox, and everyone's always looking for a reason to be like, well, this is why Xbox sucks. This is why 343 isn't Bungie. This is why, you know, everyone's looking for a way to criticize Bungie or 343 in, in Microsoft, but with Zelda, it's like everyone everyone's looking for an excuse to tell you about why they're a 90s kid and Ocarina of Time is the greatest game of all time and Zelda's amazing and, and Nintendo can do no harm, even though everyone pretty much unanimously was like didn't give a shit about Skyward Sword and thought Twilight Princess was a little disappointing. So Zelda had a similar thing where it had some rough years of like putting out good games that just kind of didn't really light the fan base on fire. And I think Halo's in a similar spot where it's like if they can find a way to make like the the God of War 2018 or the Zelda Breath of the Wild equivalency for Halo, they can really reinvigorate the fan base and bring old people, like bring lapsed players back in and make, you know, current fans more pumped and hyped than they've ever been in their lives. But it's a really tricky situation because Halo is one of these things where like more so than everything, any, any game I can think of, everyone's kind of like holding a gun to 343's head saying like, Hey, make Halo, you know, relevant and timeless and as fun as ever before but don't change a goddamn thing or I'll kill you. It's like, what do you, what do you want from this studio? You know, I see people like even people I greatly respect in the Halo community constantly talking like, oh my God, if they put, if they put run into Halo Infinite, Halo Infinite's dead. You know, Halo's dead forever. Fuck Halo. It's like, what do you, dude, they, they prove, they proved so well in Halo 5 why the run, why running has a place in Halo. Yet the old Halo fans are so pissed off about running. And then, you know, new Halo fans are just like, oh, I hope they don't go back to the old formula because I don't want to play something slow and old like Halo 2. And it's like, that's pretty understandable. I think Halo 2 is a great game for its time and it's time to push the game a little forward. But it's it's a really rough situation. And, and then there's still that whole burning question of like, is Halo Infinite going to be like an open world game or is it going to be another like level-based, kind of more linear, open sandboxy kind of level-based game like most Halo. So it's like, there's just so much with Halo Infinite, so much at stake here. And I think 
so what I'm getting out in relation to God, Gears of War is that I think 343 has everything to lose with Halo, and there's a lot more nuance and, and possibility with what's going to happen with that franchise, whereas Gears of War is just the opposite, where it's like Gears of War is, you know, the coalition is knocked out of the park with Gears of War. I think Gears of War 4 and 5 are literally just more Gears of War where they've they've tuned the gameplay a little bit, they've opened up the world a little more, and they've and they've kind of elaborated on the formula just a little bit more without without insulting or harming or or really defecting the original intent and purity and feel of Gears of War. I think the Coalition has done such a masterful job of making sure Gears of War still feels like Gears of War. I know some people say, like, the tone's a little lighter and feels a little more PG than it used to, but, like, sure, you can say that, but I really, truly think the Coalition's done an A-plus job of making sure the Gears of War franchise is kind of, like, simultaneously brought into the modern age while also keeping its core mechanics and its and its feel and kind of identity intact completely. So that's a really impressive feat for the coalition. I think they've done an amazing job, which is why I think the kind of plan for here on out with Gears of War is to just continue to make you know, gear six, whatever, next one, next one, next one, because they really haven't given the fan base a reason to be like, oh, you fucked Gears of War. You haloed it. You did, you three, four, three, the whole thing. So I, I really think Gears of War from now on is just going to be, or at least for the foreseeable future, the next few years, at least, we're just going to keep Gears of War where it's been. Obviously, Gears five didn't light the world on fire the way Gears like two and three did. But I think that's more of a thing where it's like it's just popular and not give a shit about Xbox. If if somehow Series X turns it around or at least closes the gap a little bit and makes the Xbox more of a popular brand, I think you'll see Gears of War come back in its popularity. And it's more so about the platform it's stranded on and less so about the franchise or the gameplay itself. I know a lot of like PlayStation fanboys or adversaries to the Xbox brand like to say, you know, Gears of War is old, it's stuck in the past, it's it's not pushing the the, the industry forward like games like The Last of Us or whatever, but I really don't believe that at all. I, I've ranted I ranted back when Gears Five came out that I think Gears 5 does arguably a better job than some Sony exclusives of really bringing that mature and nuanced and emotional story forward because it also still keeps intact. It's really kinetic and fun and gameplay focused uh, kind of kind of side as well. So I don't know. I think I think Coalition's doing a phenomenal job with Gears of War and that franchise is exactly where it needs to be and right on track. So and I think it's really important to not focus on trying to make it as big as it once was because that's more of a time and place thing and less so the problem of the franchise. But that could be my own ignorance speaking. Our next comment here comes from my brother Josiah who says, What do you think of Star Wars Squadrons probably being one of EA's last Star Wars games unless they somehow get their license renewed? I don't think it has any appeal for me, but I'm happy to see them doing less uh, something less conventional in, in the modern age of gaming and we will get to that question as we get into the story uh pertains that to that the announcement of that game but but yeah i think this is a uh, this this game has goodwill written all over it it's one of those games that's not set up to like sell a ridiculous numbers of copies and it's it's, it's cheaper it's cross play it's coming out soon it's story focused i think this is one of those games that's like it's like Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order where it's like a lot of goodwill put into this. And I think that's what EA is trying to do with their last remaining years of the Star Wars license is try to make good on, you know, these years and years of fucking up this IP to hell. And this is, you know, between like turning Battlefront 2 around, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, and now this. I think EA is really trying to like rewrite the, the past 10 years with the Star Wars franchise so that when it comes time to renew, they can be like, 
Disney, 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 remember, we did such a good job these last few years where you really turned the ship around. Please let us renew because, remember, EA is the company that wants to keep this license for as long as they can. If they could keep it forever, they would. They hold on to the NFL license like it's, you know, like it's their dear baby. And they and they go above and beyond to make sure the NFL doesn't make deals with others so that they can get, you know, football simulator games. It's, it's amazing that we're getting that new football sim. I forget, you know, it was in the news a few weeks ago. But EA, I think, will do anything and everything they possibly can to hang on to the Star Wars license. And so I think why we're getting a lot of good Star Wars all of a sudden and a lot of these goodwill stories surrounding Star Wars with the EA license right now, EA license right now is because they're trying to leave a good taste in the public's mouth and in Disney's mouth before it comes time to re-up those contracts. So hopefully we see this stick, but I think that's really this is really telling of, you know, the license expiring and EA wanting uh, to give Disney a reason to renew. And then our last comment is from Mr. David White, who says, first, well, not in my book, David, because according to according to the podcast, you're the last comment I read. So you're not first, David. You are. And this is not intended to be a quote from Talladega Nights. This is just quite literally. You are last, David. You are you're last and you're pathetic. And honestly, I hope you crawl back into the hole which you came from and, and, and curl up and, and just die. So what do you think about that, David White? And I, rem- I don't think I forgot. I know your wife is leaving you, so. I know that hurts a lot because you're pathetic and you're all right. That's going to do it for all of our comments. It's pretty much going to do it for our podcast since I went over a billion hours talking about your questions and comments. But I, as, as was recently uh, pointed out by some listeners, you said, just do your goddamn podcast and stop focusing on how long it is. And so I'm going to try to take that to heart. So if you think I went too long without getting into the news, you can go fuck yourself because this is my podcast and uh, you're at my mercy. It's not like you can click off and listen to someone else's Xbox podcast. All right, so as always, you know, guys, remember for future episodes, if you got anything to shout out, anything you want to weigh in on, don't be shy, reply. Next, we're going to get into what I've been playing, but of course, before we can get into what I've been playing, let me tell you what I've been eating. This segment's been really lacking, you know, since the whole COVID thing happened. I haven't I haven't been eating like a king, I'll tell you that much. I've been. It's a lot of cooking from home. It's a lot of repeat recipes and just trying to I'm doing a lot of that eating to live and not a lot of that living to eat which I would prefer to be doing but um, I have been intermittent fasting you know I haven't been able to really work out not that I work out I try to try to get steps and I try to run every now and again do some push-ups just something to prevent me from having a fucking heart attack at 29 but you know I've been doing this intermittent fasting thing I've been listening to some some opinions on it from the Mr. Joe Rogan and and the like where they're like you know just just don't eat after 8 p.m. and and in the morning don't eat till 11 a.m. just kind of tell your body now is time to you know, burn fat and not, and slow down your metabolism and just kind of control control your consumption and things like that and just only eat within certain hours of the day. And I don't know that it's really helping me lose weight or keep my weight under control, but it does make me feel better. I know I, I sleep better at night knowing I'm not like sitting on food or anything. So it does, as much as it sucks, you know, doing like this first four, because I work at a, my job, I, I go to work really early in the morning. So 11 a.m. doesn't sound too bad and it's not on like a day off. But like when I'm at work, it sucks dick when I get to work super early in the morning. I have to wait till 11 and I haven't eaten since like 630 at night or something like that, you know. So it's it's it can be hard to get to it, but it's worth it because that feeling in the morning when I don't feel like shit from the night before or at night when I'm going to bed and I don't feel like I'm, I'm sleeping on food. So I definitely recommend the intermittent fasting if that's something you've been you've heard of, you're looking into. If not for, you know, the whole people try to do it to, to lose weight or to keep their weight under control, I think it's good just because it helps you get a better night's rest and it helps you feel less shitty in the morning. So that's not really what I've been eating, but it's related to things I eat and uh it's kind of one of the more pathetic things. I don't even... This is like my health and wellness podcast, so f- 
fuck you all. We're all we're all throwing our Xboxes out the window and plugging in our Wii Fit. So let's get back to video games, something a little more healthy for the brain. We've got what I've been playing this week. And as I said last week, I'm, I'm in my annual Destiny phase. So playing lots of Destiny 2, getting into that Season of the Arrivals content, really enjoying it, really enjoying jumping into Destiny 2 with the exception of that whole my hours are kind of inaccurately counted thing that's driving me nuts. The game's really fun. You know, Destiny is a game I've always played solo. The only thing I've never gotten to do on Destiny that I've always wanted to do is do a raid. I've never gotten to do raids um, in that game, which is a little sad, but um, I've always felt like... You know, people act like Destiny is a game you gotta have a group of friends to play. And I used to have that mentality, you know. When I first got Destiny 1, I, I, I bought it with a friend. We did the midnight launch. It's the last midnight launch I ever did at GameStop before I grew up and realized you can download your games like a, a modern person. And uh, I really have fond memories of Destiny 1 because I did kind of play it a lot with my buddy at first until he went crazy, shaved his head off, sold his Xbox, and bought a PlayStation 4, at which point I never talked to him again. And so, I don't know, throughout most... I've been playing Destiny kind of since the beginning of Destiny 1 is what I'm getting at, and I've never really gotten to play the raids, but what I've really come around to in my latest kind of quest to play a bunch of Destiny is that it really is the kind of game where, like, if you don't play the raids and you don't play with a fire team, there really is still so much to do. Like, I've really had no shortage of fun to be had on Destiny playing alone throughout, you know, since 2014 when Destiny 1 came out. I I really do enjoy it as a single-player game, and I think Destiny sometimes, you know, it doesn't get enough credit as being as, like, single-player-friendly player as I think it is. I don't know, I, I, can, I can fall into the community rabbit hole of, like, watching YouTubers and learning stuff from, like, subreddits and things like that, but without ever having to actually engage with another human being, which is something I really like about Destiny. And uh, it kind of feels like I'm part of a community and engaging in a community and engaging in this living, breathing world while also not having to, like, actively make friends and talk to people. And I just really appreciate that aspect of Destiny. And I've really enjoyed, I don't know, just falling back down the rabbit hole and learning all the things I've missed since I was gone uh, the last time I played Destiny. And it's really fun. But I think my Destiny thing is winding down. I do plan on kind of playing it continuously throughout the season a little bit here and there but we're going to jump in because this week starts a very busy week for gaming uh, as a little side note i also played some sonic generations one of the one of the best 3d platforms of all time great game um, but yeah this week is a very busy week for gaming because on tuesday disintegration came out and i know this is a game you're probably not going to hear about too much from most mainstream media or maybe too many youtubers or anything or other xbox podcasts because i know it's not a huge game but disintegration to me is very important it is the first game from v1 interactive which is headed up by marcus leto marcus leto for those who don't know is the co-creator of the master chief he worked he's worked at bungie um since like the miss two days or something like that he's he was he was at bungie for a very long time from a very early stage in the company up until like right after destiny one came out i think or he quit like during the development of destiny one so he was there for a very long time and he was there for throughout all of bungie's tenure with the halo franchise and um just really awesome guy, really interesting person, very important to the industry. And he started a, um, when he left Bungie and left Destiny, he started a really small team. It's like, I think it's got about 30 people in it. It's called V1 Interactive, and Disintegration is their first game. So it's just, it just came out, and uh, it's published by Private Division, the publishers behind uh, The Outer Worlds. They are a 2K-owned, like, smaller publisher. So you may have heard of them before, um... But yeah, so this game is really, really interesting in that it's this kind of combination of like first person shooter and like these little floating motorcycle grab cycles paired with like light RTS elements where you're controlling like small squads of like two to four people. And it's really 
it's a really interesting game to try to marry these two gameplay or these two genres together. And I think the game kind of quite successfully pulls that off. But the game also suffers from a lot of like just small dev team kind of things where they tried to make they, it feels like they tried to make a triple A game by like the standards of like 2008. And it just really doesn't age well, you know, in 2020, you know, we can tell AAA games have really come a long way. And I don't think this is trying to be a AAA game by any means. It's definitely like a AA game, which is great for me because, you know, I always complain about how we don't get enough of this stuff. So I'm really enjoying it. And I really kind of cautiously put a thumbs up on it as far as recommendation goes. This is a game for people who are just really diehard fans of like Halo and all things surrounding Halo. If you're one of those people like me who's like, I love Halo and I love Bungie in general and I I love what the people around this franchise and these franchises have gone on to create. There are some touches of Halo, like everything from like the the HUD feels very Halo. The loading screens feel very Halo. When you start out the game, you like look up and down to calibrate your camera, very much like Combat Evolved and just some little touches and nuances that are very Halo feeling. And then there's some design philosophies to the game that are very Halo, where it's like you try to beat a level under par time and and just some, some design choices behind the game are very halo feeling and um for that i really appreciate it but it also just feels a little destiny as well where like in between levels you're kind of let loose in like this hub world where you can explore and talk but that's kind of where you get to my gripe with the game so far i'm only only a couple hours and i'm very early in the game but the game feels very like it tried to be ambitious and like offer like little hub worlds and and really like destructible environments and things like that when you're in levels but a lot of the design feels very surface level like the worlds don't feel too fleshed out they feel a little static some of the little explorable areas just feel like empty boxes where you don't really do much of anything that kind of exists for no purpose and so there are a lot of like little critical dings i can give the game for why it's not great but i didn't download this game expecting it to be like my game of 2020 i downloaded this game for the same reason you know i bought you know um starling battle for atlas in 2018 it's one of those games where like I saw the first trailer for it and immediately was like, okay, this is definitely like a smaller double-A game, something that's not going to do much better than like a 65 on Metacritic, something that a lot of people are going to forget about or never give a chance, but it's it's just one of those things that has Jesse written all over it, so I had to give it a try. I wanted to show my support to Marcus Leto and his new team. It's only a $50 game. It's not a full $60 game, so even they know that it's not quite, you know, AAA modern $60 in terms of like the amount of content, which I think is a little ridiculous because the game does come with both the single-player and multiplayer sweet so you're getting a lot of content for $50 in my opinion the multiplayer I haven't really jumped into enough to really say much of anything but I will talk more about it next week but yeah I'm playing disintegration for more I think I think this is a game that definitely has some resonance and relevance for Xbox fans and I'm sure there are some of you out there who are at least somewhat interested in this game and I and I guess what I'm saying is if you're expecting like a really innovative and groundbreaking and next generation like shooter this isn't really it but if you're looking for something that's like interesting and different but has the quirks of like a small dev team and kind of a first attempt from a new studio and kind of feels a little dated, something like maybe you would have played during the Xbox 360 days a little bit. And and that all sounds fine. Like those are like, um, those are setbacks that you're willing to work with and still makes the game sound interesting. Then I think this game is at least worth a try. And uh, I, I assume it will be on sale pretty soon. It won't sell very well, unfortunately. So if you're at least somewhat interested, I'm sure you'll be able to pick this game up for like 20 bucks in a few months anyway. Um, but yeah, Disintegration, that's what I'm playing this week. And of course, it must be said, not an Xbox game, but this is a massive week in gaming because tomorrow, as of the time you're listening to this podcast, Friday the, the 19th, uh, The Last of Us Part Two finally comes to PlayStation 4. It's just one of those games you can't get away from it. You cannot ignore it. It's such a massive, important game. And 
super excited to play it. This is going to be the first time I really sit down and play a full PlayStation 4 game for the first time in like two years, maybe since like God of War or Spider-Man. So I'm really excited to have an excuse to get some value out of my PlayStation 4. I always feel a little guilty that I bought the damn thing and I never use it. So I'm really excited for Last of Us. I'm really excited for like a really compelling narrative in a game. And I know this is going to be boundary pushing. I haven't been spoiled yet, you know, with all the spoilers and everything from this game. Uh, And so I'm really grateful for that. And uh, I really don't give a shit what people say about the game, whether it's good or bad. I'm, I'm excited to play this game and make my own, you know, come to my own conclusions about it. So, and I'm sure this is one of those rare examples of a PlayStation game where a lot of this audience is probably interested in it. So I'm, I'm, I'll tell you how it is next week. I won't get into it too much because this is an Xbox podcast after all. But now that we are about an hour into the show, let's jump into some Xbox news stories. We will, or, or, or the news stories in general for the week. Thank you for bearing with us. Uh, cue the, the notification bumper. So as we got into a little bit earlier in the show, of course, PlayStation, just last Thursday after last week's episode went live, uh, held their PlayStation 5 reveal event. Very big event. And I think we really have to talk about first the kind of stark contrast between how PlayStation handled their event and how Xbox handled their event. Now, we know Xbox is coming out with their big event in July. It's where we're going to see Halo Infinite. It's where we're going to see the first party games. And I suspect we'll probably get our release date and price for the Series X. I'm, I'm expecting it to be a pretty substantial event. But the event we got last month from, from Xbox for the Xbox Series X third party lineup was a very... I don't want to say it was bad in terms of like the the production quality. I think it was very deliberate what they were doing. I think they were trying to be very sensitive to the whole COVID situation. So they very intentionally were like, hey, here are all of our executive figures. And they're, they're on shitty webcams. And their audio is not great. And they're wearing headsets. And they're in pajamas. Because you know what what's happening right now? Bigger things are happening out there. People are dying. People are getting sick. We're all working from home. It's a crazy time. It's really not suitable for us to be putting in all the production money and time into making this look like a big E3 presentation or really going all out and having Michael Bay do explosion effects and everything like that's not what this event is about. And I really understood where Microsoft was coming from when they did that event. And I really respected that design choice. But I think PlayStation designing to or deciding to do just the opposite and go very like high quality, high production value, E3 quality, like reveal event uh, ended up making that xbox event kind of look retroactively kind of shitty even though it wasn't i really think people even xbox fans were too hard on microsoft i understand the whole gripe about they didn't show gameplay as much as they said you know they said it was going to be gameplay and there wasn't a lot of gameplay i think that's a fair concern but i think overall in terms of the quantity of games and the quality of games and and the pacing of that event i thought it was a pretty solid event and i think people are being a little ridiculous because we knew going into that event that we weren't going to see halo and the first party lineup and it wasn't even their big event we knew that there was a bigger event down the road so like the fact that people hyped themselves up for like this is it this is all the xbox series x info dump we've been waiting for and then you know got pissed off about it i thought that was a little unfair but this for playstation kind of was their big info dump this is for all intents and purposes for PlayStation, what Xbox is supposed to have in a few weeks in July uh, for their big reveal event. So I think this is a little taste of like the level of hype we can expect from Xbox. And I think, you know, if Xbox was looking to do another very like low key, low production, uh, kind of respectful COVID conscious kind of event as they did last time, I think they've probably since scrapped and started really ramping up production on something really polished and high effort because I think this PlayStation event really showed that we still need this. You know, I understand there's COVID. I understand there's a lot of 
you know, injustice going on right now in this country and a lot of civil unrest and just shit going on. It's a crazy year, of course, as we all know. But if there's anything this PlayStation event proved, it's that gamers and the hype cycle and the whole we have a console to sell you at the end of this year, that whole narrative really didn't take a backseat to what all was happening because Sony going all out and having this level of presentation really did benefit the show. And I don't mean that in an insensitive way at all. I just think it actually benefited the kind of overall hype and production value and appeal of this reveal event. And so, of course, they start out with that GTA thing. It's very important to to note that whatever they did with GTA, all that stuff is coming to Xbox, but I get it. They're like, GTA Online is coming as a separate kind of download for the PS5, and it's going to have timed exclusivity on PS5 and all that shit. Sure, whatever. I mean, obviously, that's all coming to Xbox Series X later, probably half a year to a year later. I know this is technically a big deal because, as we talk about with NPD numbers all the time, Grand Theft Auto V cannot stop selling at the, in the top 20 spot every month since 2013. So I get that GTA, despite not being a huge thing for the like the hardcore gaming market, is a big thing for the gaming market in general because so many people buy time and time again GTA 5 and play GTA Online and and put time and money into this specific entry in the GTA franchise. So I understand it's a big thing, but I thought that was kind of a really weak place to start off because they're like, they're like, all right, you ready for the PlayStation 5? Well, here's a port of this game that's not even from this generation, but from the generation before that, and it's coming to PS5. It's like nothing, nothing like neuters the excitement for next generation more than being like here's a game from two generations ago it's like by the time gta 5 hits ps5 it will be two generations old and i know it came out at the end of the ps3 generation but like it's still two generations old it's like it's kind of ridiculous at this point so i understand that was more about appealing to investors and and you know ensuring people like hey so many people love grand theft auto and so many people play grand theft auto that experience is coming with you to ps5 but you know for like the hardcore gamers and for like the games media type and all that starting off with gta 5 was like the most underwhelming thing you could have done so i think that was actually a big fumble um, because this event really should be about getting the gamers hyped up and your most passionate fan base because the people who are trying to pre-order your console and get it day one are your most passionate, most hardcore users. You know, the the millions and millions of people who play, who keep buying seven, eight, nine copies of GTA 5 every couple months are not the people who are lining up to buy the PS5 day one. Those are the people who just buy a PS5 at some point because they want and they need a platform to play Grand Theft Auto on, you know? So you need to, I don't know, they really should have come out the gate swinging with like Spider-Man or Ratchet or something or just... In my opinion, they should have just showed off the box. And I understand the desire to show the box last so they could give the games their chance to shine. But it kind of had an opposite effect on me where I was spending the whole event just like, show us the goddamn box already. You know, it's like we've seen the Xbox Series X since December. And it's now we're in June and like we still haven't seen this PS5. Like, come the fuck on. But I want to go down the list of games shown and, and kind of differentiate and, and give you a taste of like how many of these are actually Xbox Series X games. Because... It's we're used to PlayStation really catering to like the exclusive market and really playing up that market, but that's really not what the PS5 is all about so far as it seems because it's a lot of multi-platform games. And so we'll kind of go through the list and, and go over that. And now they are doing a lot of like that timed exclusivity shit. And I think Microsoft used to get a lot of shit for this in the early Xbox One days, especially with like Shat or Rise of the Tomb Raider. 
when when it was like, uh, oh yeah, it's a it's an Xbox exclusive, but only for a little bit of time. And they didn't they didn't say how long. It ended up just being a year. And I think PlayStation's kind of taken the crown for like being the worst at this because they really showed off these timed exclusive games as if they were console exclusives, and that really wasn't the case. So they were pretty misleading on this. But we'll get into that. They st- this is in no particular order because this is from an article from Windows Central where they also laid out all the games and which ones were timed exclusives versus third parties. But they showed off Bug Snacks, which I know a lot of people were using this game as a um, as a as like a, an excuse to make fun of the PS5. This is actually from uh, the Dark. What are they called? Dark Horse or no? Dark Horse is the comic. It's something like Young Horse or something. It's the the guys that made um, Octodad, Dadly's Catch, which I thought was an awesome game. I even have a really a detailed video analyst analysis about it on my YouTube page. If you want to check that out, but um, this is their next effort after Octodad. And I actually think this game, while I still don't really understand what it is, I think it's intriguing and I'm actually excited to play this on Xbox one day, but I know a lot of people use this as kind of the, um, the excuse to be like, Oh, the PS five sucks. It's just a bunch of cartoon games. I'm actually excited. I actually really appreciate that Microsoft or that PlayStation still does a lot of like, cartoonier games because i think a big problem with modern gaming is too much of it tries to be serious and take a serious tone and be gritty and realistic so i think it's nice to have the mix of like new games and forward pushing like open world realistic games with like cartoonier games or platform games so i was i was all for bug snacks and i i'm excited to learn more about it but that is indeed a timed exclusive it's not a console exclusive um, but they try to pass it off kind of as an exclusive they showed it off death loop which is that new game from arcane bethesda published which i thought Honestly, I wasn't that into it. I didn't think it looked that good, but people seem to really hi- be really hyped about it. But so I mean, whatever, good for you guys. Um, that's a timed exclusive as well. Uh, they showed Ghostwire Tokyo, which this one surprised me a little bit. It is a uh, timed exclusive, so this is going to be on PS5 exclusively for a little while, unfortunately. But I was also really surprised because this game looked kind of like really actiony. It was like third person actiony kind of game, and I was really I don't know what I was expecting, but I was expecting a little more like a slower, more methodical horror game. So. This is really exciting to me. I'm actually kind of pumped to play Ghostwire Tokyo now. Uh, then they showed Godfall, which looks so painfully generic, and I have no interest in this game at all. But that is also a timed exclusive, which we kind of knew about because they announced it as kind of like the first PS5 game. They showed Goodbye Volcano High, which is a really unnerving, like, furry game that some people were pretty nervous about. Um, that is a timed exclusive, but and as far as I'm concerned, PlayStation is more than welcome to have that exclusivity forever because the fewer people that have access to that game, probably the better, even though the the kinky side of me wants to play it. I'm just kidding. And then we got Hitman 3, which is definitely coming to everything. And then we got Jet the Far Shore, which I thought looked pretty cool. Also timed exclusive. Uh, Kina Bridge of Spears, which I'm really excited about. Unfortunately, that's a timed exclusive, so we won't be seeing that on the Series X uh, for a little while. And then we got Little Devil Inside, also timed exclusive. Very interesting art style to that game. NBA 2K21, of course, that will be multi-plat. Oddworld Soulstorm, which is oddly timed exclusive. Oddworld's a weird franchise because I know it has a lot of history with PlayStation, but also you have, like, Stranger's Wrath, which is very Xbox-oriented. So it's just a very weird situation with the history of that franchise where it's kind of had history with both Microsoft and Sony, but this one will be uh, timed exclusive on PS5, but of course eventually come to Xbox Series X. And then they got Pragmata, which is that new really weird Hideo Kojima looking uh, game from Capcom. But yeah, it looked, that game looks really cool. And guess what? It's it's coming to everything. And in fact, I think Microsoft was aware of how unique that game was because pretty much as soon as that event was over, they were posting videos and trailers of that game on the Xbox YouTube page to be like, hey guys, 
don't be fooled. This is an Xbox game also. You can play it here. So I thought that was kind of funny. And then they got Project uh, Athia, which is also time exclusive. Resident Evil 8 or Village or Resident Evil Village, which is a really awesome name, really cool twist on the whole naming convention and a really good looking game. <clears throat> will also be, of course, on Xbox, so that's not a timed exclusive. Solar Ash and Stray were both timed exclusives. So, for the most part, they showed timed exclusives. And that what that tells you is that PlayStation worked their asses off to get a lot of exclusivity, which is interesting to me, because it's like, why would they be doing that? Well, if you look at the history of like the PlayStation kind of marketing mentality, it's always been games, 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 which is, of course, in my opinion, the right answer and the right approach to have. But... I'm seeing this as like they don't have a whole lot of exclusive games to show or as many as they wanted to have out the gate. And they're trying to avoid the problem the PS4 had, which was that, you know, a lot of people don't remember this, but the PS4 kind of had a really shitty first two years. And I know people don't remember that because we were all too busy shitting on the Xbox One. But I think the Xbox One kind of undoubtedly had a better start than the PS4 from just the optics of games because the the Xbox One, they kind of had an inverse relationship where Xbox One actually kind of came out the gate with a solid first-party lineup and then as the console went on, turned to a dry spell, a shitty, like, nothing of exclusive games and PS4 had kind of just the opposite where, like, the first two years of the PS4 kind of sucked and until, like, Uncharted 4 and Bloodborne came out, like, PS4 really didn't have jack shit for a long time it kind of really like sold itself on poning Xbox at E3 and having Call of Duty. Like those two things like alone just made PS5, PS4 do so well. And I think PlayStation is a little more nervous this time around and sees that Xbox is a, a far more formidable opponent and, and is saying, well, we need to really double down on having a lot of exclusive content on this box day one because how can we compete with Xbox? You know, Game Pass is so enticing. A console generation that works up and down with all generations of, of consoles and has forward and backwards compatibility and is super, super powerful, even more powerful than our box and then possibly even less expensive. It's like... The Xbox Series X is such a in, intense and, and threatening piece of machine, a piece of kit at, in the face of the PS5. And I think Sony is really well aware of that and very nervous about it. That's why they won't release pricing details on the PS5. They're really waiting for Microsoft to go first. And I think all this timed exclusivity we're seeing is really a response and a fear to that. It's their way of saying, well, what can we do? We can't make this box get get any cheaper because we need, you know, PlayStation, PlayStation is how Sony makes money. You know, Microsoft could, you know, Satya Nadella could, could decide tomorrow he's writing off Xbox and just fold the whole gaming division at, at Microsoft and it would be a drop in the bucket to them. It would be nothing. But Sony is in such a different position because Sony needs PlayStation. So, you know, it's such a scary position when Xbox Series X is looking like I'm not just saying this as an Xbox fanboy. I'm saying this as someone who like objectively thinks the value lies within the Series X, where like the Series X looks like the better console by all accounts and might even be cheaper than the PS5. Like that's terrifying. So I think Sony's looking really to just find anything and everything they can to to really throw, you know, throw some fire and throw some heat Microsoft's way and say, hey, we're going to stand toe to toe with you despite being less powerful, despite being more expensive. And, you know, they're, they're really relying on the kind of blind favoritism towards the PlayStation brand paired with a bunch of game exclusivity and i think that's what this timed exclusivity thing they're doing here is all about it's really about saying yeah we got spider-man we got ratchet and clank we got demon souls we got uh, a new horizon game and i think that's a pretty solid lineup even though two of those games i don't think will be out 
during the launch window. But that, that's a pretty good little lineup of uh, foreseeable co- uh, console exclusives. But to be like, that's all we got is just not enough. They need more. So they're like, just boom, boom, boom. You got Bugs Next. You got Deathloop. You got Oddworld. You got you got Godfall. All this shit. It's like whether you like it or not, it's just they're just inundating you with so many exclusive games or timed exclusive games. But you know, to most people, timed exclusive is as good as exclusive, right? Destiny kind of won the PlayStation. You know, PlayStation won Destiny over Microsoft. Even though Bungie's always been, you know, at one point they literally were a Microsoft studio. You know, they. They uh, Bungie like got so deeply associated with PlayStation because of that exclusivity with certain content and certain things with Destiny and the marketing deal to make you know Destiny always advertised as a PlayStation game. That stuff really, really, truly works on the average consumer. So if PlayStation Five is coming out and you know someone's like going into Target and they see Xbox Series X and it's like, oh, I can play Cyberpunk, which is already on Xbox One and it is forwards compatible on my Series X, but it's not really a Series X game and. Oh, look, Halo Infinite. That's a really big win, but, you know, it's Halo Infinite. But then they're looking at PS5, and like, oh, my God, I got Spider-Man, I got Ratchet and Clank, I got Godfall, Ghostwire, Tokyo, Deathloop, Bugsnax, you know, all these games. Not that these are all launch window games, but just this idea of, like, at some point you look at a store shelf and see how many more games are on PlayStation than there are on Xbox. It's it's convincing to your average consumer, right? It just They, they just draw the connection, like, PlayStation has more games. Even though it's not true, even though at some point most of these games are coming to Xbox, and Xbox probably has a super big first-party output, which we're about to learn about in a few weeks, this is PlayStation's bet, is if we can just get the quantity of exclusivity, even if it's temporary, maybe we can just get the goodwill up front. And that's really where you win the battle, right? Is at the beginning of a console generation. Because as we've seen with the 360 generation and the PS4 generation, it's what wins is... Who comes out the gate swinging the biggest dick? And, you know, last generation, PlayStation, you know, Xbox stumbled all over the floor. And then and then PlayStation came out with their massive cock and started slapping Xbox in the face. Oh, you're so stupid. You got the connect. You're so dumb. Four ninety, three ninety nine. You, you dumb idiots. And, and then the PlayStation won just because of that alone. And Sony really understands. That. I think Sony understands that better than anyone. And that's why they're trying so hard to, to find all the cards possible to play because they don't have the comfort. They don't have the Microsoft cash to say, uh, well, we're just gonna cut. We're just gonna take a big loss on the PS5 and sell it at a loss and and sell units that way. They can't do it because the the higher ups at Sony are saying no, no, no. no. Playstations are bread and butter. We need to make money off this box. So find a way to make it profitable, and we'll make up the difference elsewhere. Whereas you know Phil Spencer's going up to Papa Satya Nadella and saying, Hey, Daddy, can we sell this thing at like four hundred bucks, even though it costs five fifty to make? And he's like, Yeah, I'm done just swimming in all this Office three sixty five money. Go for it, son. And he's like, Whippee! And then we all buy super cheap Xbox Series Xs that are way more powerful than the PS five and. Who loses at that point? So this is a really, I think this is just the most exciting situation ever, I think, in like a the kind of lead up to a console launch because it's just like these consoles have such massively different approaches to next generation and there's such like glaring differences in what they offer and at the end of the day, like one of these is going to be substantially better than the other. You know, you can, you can laugh all day about how the Xbox one was so lame compared to the PS4, but there really wasn't much of a difference. I get it. It's like PS4 was cheaper and some games ran at a higher resolution. You know, some games were like 
1080p instead of like 920 and things like that. And I understand those things really hurt Xbox last generation, you know, but that's, that's going to be like small, that's going to be like small time stuff compared to what's going to happen between the Series X and the PS5. When you're playing Series X and someone's like, oh yeah, that game's amazing. Dude, have you played on Series X? Oh, did you play, did you play, uh, did you play Cyberpunk on Series X? Oh my God, dude. It's like, it's like they re-released the game with HD textures, but you know, you just pop the Xbox One game in your Series X and all of a sudden it's a new game. It's fucking amazing, dude. Oh my God, it's such a great game. Oh, I had that new Halo game. So amazing. Oh my God. So it's so affordable. It's so much more powerful than the PS5. Oh my God. Oh, a game pass. Oh, it's amazing, dude. I don't even buy games anymore. I just pay 10 bucks a month and I get literally all the shit I could ever want to play. It's such an enticing value. Sony's got to be scared because I think the the differences between what PS5 is going to offer and what Series X is going to offer are so, you know, not even necessarily big, but they're just, they're such big, they're just such notable differences. They're so polar opposite of each other that it's going to be a more uh, nuanced kind of set of differentiating factors to determine which box is better for which, which consumer because it's really not a difference of like this one's 920p and this one's 1080p and this one's got a camera for an extra hundred bucks that you have to buy and this one has no camera and it's a hundred bucks cheaper it's a lot more nuanced than that it really is and i just think it's going to be you know i still think definitively playstation 5 beats out series x i think it's going to sell way more units i think playstation's still going to get the goodwill of the mainstream games media because games media's so absurdly obviously biased and I, I fought this idea for so long that games media was biased towards PlayStation because I don't like to I don't like to be like conspiratorial and be like oh well you know that's just how it's I always wanted to give them benefit of the doubt that's just how it seems you know these people probably just grew up with PlayStation because the brand's been around longer I, I don't I don't do this anymore I don't wipe the asses of IGN and stuff like that I still like IGN I still like some of the people that work there I still like some of these media outlets but it is so blatantly obvious that like the the games media has such a fucking hard erection for the PlayStation brand. And it's so unbelievably biased. Like I, like I, I write, I write the script for this podcast every week. I go to IGN.com and I filter the news stories by categories. I can filter, I can filter out. Do I want general gaming news? Do I want PC? Do I want PlayStation, Xbox or Nintendo? And I go through them all. And the amount of coverage you get on, on like just Xbox news alone on IGN is so insignificant compared to the amount of PlayStation or Nintendo news. And you can say, well, the switch is just a more vibrant console that has more going on right now, or PlayStation just gets more clicks. It's like, sure. But then I go over to windows central where I also pull a lot of news from uh, obviously a Microsoft centered website that only covers PC, Xbox surface and windows. And Oh my God, they get like 10 times the number of Xbox stories that IGN just misses. IGN's the biggest gaming outlet in the world. How the fuck are they missing all these Xbox stories every week? And it's and it's not just IGN. I don't mean to hold them solely accountable. It's everyone. It's the Kotakus. It's the GameSpots. It's everyone. They're, and it's a lot of the YouTubers. It's a lot of the personalities. Everyone just has such a hard-on for Sony. And again, I, I preface at the top of the show going over my love for Insomniac because I do love PlayStation. I do love Insomniac. And I do have a soft spot for PlayStation in my heart. And it's very you know, connected to my childhood and my gaming upbringing, but I'm also realistic about it. And I think the Xbox clearly is constantly getting the short end of the stake and it gets, it gets underreported and it gets underappreciated. And I I don't think, I think the Xbox series X is going to do a lot to close that gap, but I don't think it's going to, I don't think it's going to successfully do it. I think you're going to see the PlayStation five is still going to clobber the series X, not as much as the PS4 did the Xbox one, but definitely clobber it in the end of the day. And, uh, it's just still so exciting because I, I, I don't know how you back this up as a consumer or as a media or as a, you know, as 
just in general a public entity when one has so much more to offer you objectively. And I think this, my point that I'm making here, if it sounds a little fanboy and maybe it is, I don't really care. I think this is going to be really solidified when you see the fucking Series X come out and undercut the PS5 in price. When you see a console that is more powerful than a PlayStation 5 and less expensive than a PlayStation 5 and still sell less you're going to see exactly the point I'm making. And I, and I don't think Xbox is going to drop the ball on exclusives. I really think they're going to blow us away with the exclusives. And I'm so excited to see what the initiative's working on. Maybe the coalition's got something else. We've got 343. We've got Turn 10. We've got uh, Playground. We've got all these new studios. Just so many new teams working on so many games at once. It's going to be a clusterfuck of value coming from Xbox. And I'm really, I don't know. I don't know why I'm so passionate about running circles around this argument this week. But goddamn, I guess I... Uh, guess my girlfriend didn't let me out of the house to run around today, and now I'm just burning off energy on the mic, so thank you for bearing with me. We will now move on to another news story now that we're at the four-hour and 75-minute mark. Our next story comes by news from CNBC, and according to a report from CNBC, it appears that AT&T is looking to sell off Warner Bros. Interactive Entertainment, the gaming division, of course, uh, which would entail studios such as Rocksteady, Warner Bros. Montreal, NetherRealm, and Avalanche Software. Sources claim that the deal is valued at around $4 billion, which is like more than Disney bought Star Wars for, so there's a little bit of insight into how much gaming is worth. While we are still waiting to hear from a lot of uh, studios uh, owned by WB as to what they're working on, it's largely assumed that WB Montreal is working on a new Batman Arkham game, which was recently teased, while Avalanche Software is thought to be working on the long-rumored Harry Potter RPG. Uh, Since the story broke, rumors have begun circulating that interested buyers include Activision and Ubisoft, and we must, of course, hope that Ubisoft ends up pulling the trigger on this move as the French publisher once expressed interest in reviving Avalanche Software's once thriving Disney Infinity franchise, which is, of course, something I just had to throw in there for for myself. Um, But this story is super crazy, honestly. I I don't understand. I don't know the financials of AT&T and WB and how their interactive entertainment division does. I would assume this is one of the more profitable divisions because, remember, NetherRealm makes the Mortal Kombat games. Those games sell like crack when they come out. Um... Rocksteady makes the Batman Arkham games. Those games sell like crack when they come out. Um, Avalanche Software hasn't really done much for them since they've gotten there. They were purchased after Disney folded them. Um, They were revived from Warner Bros. And... You know, so we haven't seen too much from them. But, like, I, I mean, we also get, like, those Lord of the Ring games. And, like, WB puts out some really profitable games. So this is a very interesting story just in the fact that I'm surprised that if they're offloading assets, this is something they look for. And I guess maybe it's not because maybe they're looking for short-term cash. And that's got to be my my best guess because you got to think long-term, Warner Bros. Interactive Entertainment probably makes them more money. Than, I, I can't imagine they're hemorrhaging money on their gaming division, but maybe it's just that they know how how highly valued this, this division is and how much money they can get short-term if they just sell it now and how they can help them c- control their assets and their debt better. So maybe this is just an excuse for them to kind of make a big adjustment all at once and, and selling off this division is part of that short-term win. I don't, I don't know. I don't claim to know the financials of AT&T or Warner Bros., and I don't claim to be a, a, a market analyst who can fully understand why you would want to do something like this. But nonetheless, it, it's super interesting that you have uh, buyers like Activision interested. Activision is a fucking mega conglomerate. They're like the biggest name when it comes to gaming publishing, game publishing. And I really hope Activision doesn't get it. Uh, not because I hate Activision. I know they get a lot of heat, but I don't 
I just don't think Activision needs this because Activision, I feel like if Activision gets this, basically what they'll do is let NetherRealm keep making Mortal Kombat and then maybe try to get Mortal Kombat on like an annualized or biannualized fucking release schedule. And then they'll be like, ah, the Batman games make a lot of money. We'll just do a, an annualized thing with that. And then Avalanche will fold you and put you into like Raven and make you be a support team on Call of Duty or something like that. And I just don't want to see what Activision does with them. I don't, Activision has a history of just not respecting the talent at their studios and just kind of forcing them all to become like grunt workers on the Call of Duty franchise and no disrespect to Call of Duty but like I really don't want to see another talented like B or like C or D tier tier team be like absorbed into the Call of Duty conglomerate again so it would be fun to just see these teams allowed to continue to thrive and act independently and and be creative and I just don't think Activision is going to be the brand to allow that to continue Uh, whereas Ubisoft on the other hand I think is just the opposite where I think Ubisoft is the team that's that's crazy enough to be like yeah, go make your crazy games as long as you uh, put the Ubisoft checkbox in there with the whole, like, unlock parts of the map, that kind of whole Assassin's Creed Far Cry thing. We'll let you make whatever game you want. Go make Disney Infinity again. We'll go buy we'll go buy Disney Infinity back from Disney, and we'll let Avalanche go back to making Disney Infinity. We'll just put an open-world map where you got to check off boxes and do in-app purchases, but otherwise you'll get Disney Infinity back, and then we'll let you make a new Mortal Kombat where it's an open world, and you gotta you got to unlock towers to open up the map, and then you can have fights, and you'll be just like Assassin's Creed and I think Ubisoft will at least allow these individual teams to persist and and, and be themselves and make the games they're making uh, whereas I don't think Activision would allow that to be the case so I am rooting for Ubisoft and I really hope this all does come to fruition but I mean obviously I guess best case scenario would be they don't get sold at all and they can continue to do what they're doing but I mean who knows if it's if it's a financially precarious situation for Warner Bros Interactive Entertainment maybe it's best that they get sold for the sake of the developers and the teams uh, at stake here so really weird situation and I'm, I'm excited to hear more of this I believe the story is absolutely true I don't think CNBC would be reporting on this if it were all hearsay but um, I'm really interested to see where this where this goes from here uh, I saw a lot of people you know tweeting out like oh you know Phil Spencer I saw like funny memes like Phil Spencer is like a guy driving crazy in traffic it's like Phil Spencer on his way to go you know negotiate Warner Bros to get them on Team Xbox it's like I, I, it's funny and all that, but if if you're being serious, if anyone's being serious about this, I don't think this is a good buy for for Xbox. I don't know. This is someone like Xbox buying the Warner Bros. brand to me feels like Ubisoft hanging on to like the Tom Clancy IP, where it's just like that's just such a weird one. It's like why do you you know you're you're Xbox, you're Microsoft, you don't need to hang on <clears throat> to like you know the Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings and all that shit like. Just go go make your own stuff. You don't need you don't need that. I just I don't I don't personally want to see Microsoft be like, hey, we're the guys. If somebody's gonna make Spider Man, we're gonna make Batman. I don't really want to see that become the case. I'd like to see them continue to work on their own original things. And I think absorbing or or you know purchasing the Warner Bros. Interactive Entertainment division just results in a lot of IP driven things. And while I don't have anything wrong with that necessarily, I just want to continue to see the Xbox Studios and all that stuff just continue to be more focused on original Xbox only kind of experiences rather than like like I, I feel I still feel similarly like even though Spider-Man's my favorite superhero and Insomniac's one of my favorite developers I still feel similarly about Insomniac Spider-Man where it's like it feels somewhat like a like a missed opportunity to put like a property like Spider-Man on a studio like Insomniac it's like Insomniac has made such rich and original unique IPs like Sunset Overdrive Ratchet and Clank Spiral the Dragon Resistance Fall of Man it's like 
Why would you confine them to a pre-existing IP that even though they did a phenomenal job with it, you know, maybe someone else who's not as good as ma- at making original IPs could also do a pretty killer job with. So I just don't want to see that be the case. I don't want to see Microsoft's first studio output be like, oh, it's a Batman game or something like that. Just I don't know. I don't think that's really. I don't think there's really a chance in hell that Microsoft's interested in this or looking into it. I, I don't think Microsoft's looking to put out more money for new studios. I think. I think right now Microsoft's probably looking at Phil Spencer and Xbox and saying, "All right, we buy. We let you go on your shopping spree. We let you buy a, a bunch of new developers. Show us. Show us what they can do. Show us how they can bring money in before we let you go any further." But also, it's Microsoft, so who knows? Maybe they're just letting them go nuts. Um, you know, so who, who knows? But we will keep a tab on this story and see how it continues to evolve. Very, very interesting stuff here. All right, this next one I think also kind of plays well with the PlayStation 5 thing, the whole PlayStation 5 reveal event, because Microsoft has been aggressively marketing the Xbox Series X and smart delivery features as of late. And we've now gotten some new clarification regarding uh, the save functionality with smart delivery. They've really been, you know, if, if you've been on Twitter or, or YouTube, you've seen. Microsoft really pushing hard on this smart delivery ad and kind of a marketing campaign. Um, but in Microsoft, in Microsoft's ongoing effort to continue to make the Series X seem too good to be true, we have learned that smart delivery can carry over your save data. This means that if you you could be playing a game like Gears 5 on your Xbox One, then switch over to the Xbox Series X once you get it, smart delivery would just automatically transfer your save data and upgrade Gears 5 to the Series X version of the game best optimized to take advantage of the system's power. So basically, you wouldn't have to do a fucking thing. Just put on your Series X, make sure you got Gears 5, go download it, play it, whatever, and you just pick up where you left off and it's playing the Series X version, not the, not the Xbox One version. So just automatically like that. Microsoft also iterates that players will be able to seamlessly switch back and forth between generations of hardware with the consoles knowing what versions of the game to automatically run rather than having to have different versions of the same game installed depending on the hardware. So this is something that, like, I didn't even think about at first, but then felt immediately relieved that Microsoft addressed it because I'm like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. But if that worked literally any other way, that would have been such a pain in the ass. And it's it's important to think. It's like, okay, so if you have Gears 5, because obviously you've played on the Xbox One, then you get a Series X and you're like, oh, I'm going to play some Gears 5. You basically boot up Gears 5 on your Series X. It automatically knows to take advantage of the Gears 5 Series X patch play it, you know, to the best performance of the Series X, but also carry over your save data and just pick up where you left off as if as if you just picked up, put down the controller and picked it back up, you know, no difference at all. And then if for whatever reason you play on the Xbox One again, like, for example, if like your Series X is in the living room and then you come home and like so-and-so's in the living room taking up the TV and you're like, ah, fuck. Well, you know, the Series X is in the living room, but I got, I got the Xbox One plugged up in the basement or in my game room or whatever. And then you go into your game room and you play your old Xbox One and you pick up on Gears of War. It just picks up right where you left off. No new file. You don't have to have the Series X and the Xbox One version installed. It's just the same game across two different forms of hardware. The hardware knows which version of the game to be running, how to optimize it where you left off when you last played, all of that shit. And this is exactly what smart delivery needs to be. This is really good news because it doesn't seem like, you know, it's not like I'm not like wetting my pants and getting all excited just thinking about this because this is one of those more like abstract kind of like 
backend features that's gonna make life easier. It's like, it's like a quality of life improvement, you know? It's not really like, oh my God, this is a selling feature, I can't wait. But it is one of those things where it's like, if you if you didn't have this or if it didn't work this way, you would notice and you would have a, a worse time enjoying this feature. So this is a really important selling point here or, or kind of just, like I said, quality of life feature for those who will use smart delivery, which I assume will be many, many Xbox Series X owners. So yeah, this, I think what really makes this important more than anything is this is, this is what, solidify smart delivery as a mature and serious feature is this more PC like, you know, quality to the game where again, it's the same thing of like, if, if I'm playing whatever the hell I'm playing on my PC on like my work laptop while I'm out at the coffee shop and you know, it's resolution is shit. It's performance is shit, but Hey, I can get the thing to run on my work computer. So why not? I got some time to kill them out in public. I'm going to do it right. But then you get home and you sit down in your gaming rig to play the same game you were playing earlier at the coffee shop and your gaming rig is super powerful. And now you got 120 FPS and you got the FOV sliders and the, and the highest resolution, the 4k, and you got all your stupid razor gear. So you got your mechanical keyboard and your fancy light up mouse and you got your headset and you're talking to your friends and all of a sudden the game's looking and running beautifully. Like that's, that's what a PC can do. It can just you can just pick up your shit anywhere thanks to Steam, thanks to Windows, thanks to, you know, just what the PC is and what gaming on a PC experience can be like. And this is Xbox saying, we're giving you that experience on Xbox, but it's going to be even better than PC because it has the advantages of home console, which is, you know, on home console, you're not you're not constantly having to go into the system settings and reinstall your drivers and do that bullshit because the whole convenience of a home console is you sit down on the couch, you click on the game you want, and you play. And this is taking the most convenient advantages of the PC gaming space and the most convenient advantages of the console gaming space and combining them into one and making it so that you don't have to do jack shit, but you're just constantly getting all the best shit constantly delivered directly to you. Nothing you have to do. You don't have to lift a fucking muscle. You just have to have the urge to play the game and then go play the game. And this is really, really important stuff because this is that kind of stuff that like this is that kind of stuff that can make or break a feature like this. You know, if smart delivery was this cumbersome thing of like, oh, but it only works on a very select few titles and you have to have the Xbox One version and the Series X version downloaded so it really takes up hard drive space and fucks everything up and then if you were playing on an Xbox Series X and then you go back to your Xbox One and try to play, the game gets all funny and then you have to like delete shit and then you have to like basically restart your save and it just, it doesn't work properly. This is one of those like, like Apple moments where like Steve Jobs just goes, it just works and you get it. It's just one of those things where the best way to find out if this, like why you love this feature or why this feature is so great is to go use an equivalent feature or, or lack this feature on another platform and see how much you rely on it and appreciate it on Xbox. And you'll see that when you're playing uh, a backwards compatible PS4 title, one of the very few backwards compatible PS4 titles, and it runs and looks like shit on your PS5 and your SSD isn't doing it any favors because PlayStation doesn't care and doesn't want to optimize your PS4 games for PS5. And that's, that's the kind of opportunity for you to notice why smart delivery is awesome. Or, or if you're playing PC and then you start getting all those pop-ups because you watch too many naked videos on the internet and you're like, oh man, why can't this just be easy like my Xbox where I don't get computer viruses from looking at naked people all day? That's This is what makes Series X original. This is what makes it great. So this is... Um, it's one of those features where it's just it makes all the difference despite the fact it's going to I can guarantee you it's going to be a thing Xbox gamers take for granted as soon as they experience it and get comfortable with it but our next story here in my weird week of news where I seem to be extremely uh, extraordinarily passionate about 
just Xbox in a, in a more blind than usual manner. Our next one here is that after some brief leaks, EA came out this past week to formally announce Star Wars Squadrons, a new first-person space combat dogfighter. Uh, set place after the events of Return of the Jedi, like pretty much every game EA makes in the Star Wars universe, the story mode alternates between two pilot rep- two pilots representing either the New Republic's Vanguard Squadron or the other side representing the Shattered Galactic Empire's Titan Squadron. In multiplayer, teams of 5v5 will take each other uh, in fleet battles or classic dogfights. What really makes this game interesting is that it will only run players $39.99 upon release when it comes to Xbox One on October 2nd. The game will also support cross-play functionality, making it an overly very consumer-friendly package from EA. The game is being developed by Motive Studios, who worked with DICE on 2017's Battlefront 2. This is one of those stories where it's like I felt like it was a it was supposed to be a big news. This was going to be like the big thing about this week, but once I watched the trailer and started really thinking about it, like I couldn't bring myself to be more excited. And kind of to my brother's point, as he commented earlier, like, you know, what do you make of this? I'm not personally super crazy about this game, but what do you think about EA putting this game out towards the end of their license with Disney? I think, yeah, kind of just that. This is this is their way of saying like, okay, we don't have the time left with this franchise and we're not going to put down the money and, and the dev time to really like put out another Star Wars Battlefront or the next, you know, Knights of the Old Republic, something that's really meaty and takes a lot of manpower and work. But we can take a smaller team and do something smaller like and do something smaller like, you know, this new this new dogfighting space combat game, which I think is really smart because one of the things a lot of people really praised about Battlefront 2 was that it's it's rare and, you know, seldomly used uh, flight controls in that game game were pretty robust and I feel like a lot of people commented hey I'd love to play like a space combat dogfighting game made in this engine and that's kind of exactly what this is it's taking that dogfighting space combat and and making and stretching that mechanic out to make a game out of it and I think this is totally acceptable and what makes it even more acceptable is the fact that it's a $40 more budget title that's kind of got an imminent release so it's going to have some some story content. It's going to have some multiplayer. I think everything about this game is totally acceptable. Uh, it's definitely more of a niche thing. They're not trying to hit that Battlefront 2 market, which I think is kind of smart, right? Because we're kind of in that post uh, Rise of Skywalker universe where we're all burnt out on Star Wars because the Rise of Skywalker were so shitty. And EA has, you know, in the eyes of a lot of people, really mismanaged the Star Wars franchise, even though I think they've done a good job of turning it around as of late. But this is one of those things where it's like, I don't think Star Wars at this very moment is going to be massive with the mass audiences. I think right now people are super burned out on Star Wars and that might be coming from my perspective as a theme park fan because as a theme park fan, I got to say I'm super burned out on Star Wars because Disney has shoved Star Wars down the throats of Disney fans so fucking hard the past few years. Like if you think you've had too much Disney just from like the perspective of like a movie fan or like a or like a toy collecting fan or something like that or a video game fan, imagine being a theme park fan where it's like all of that shit times 10 because you can't go to a Disney theme park and ride a ride about a little boy who wants to be a, a little wooden toy that wants to be a real boy without Disney being like, ah, here's a stormtrooper popcorn bucket. You want to buy it for $45, you fucking idiot? So, like, I'm, I don't know, I'm at the point now where, like, I'm very, very tired of Star Wars, and I, and I know most other people are. So, so we're just, uh, we're, we're at the, I don't know, I think this is very smart to invest in a game like this because it's like, well, who, you know, $40 budget, space combat dogfighting game. Who is that for? You know, it's not for your average Joe that watched, 
you know, The Force Awakens and was all of a sudden like, oh, you know, I never really cared about Star Wars, but now I think it's really cool. It's not for that guy. That's what Battlefront's for, you know? This is a game that's for, like, Star Wars fans. It's for, like, those people who are masochists, who are like, even though this this franchise keeps hurting me, I'm going to keep coming back to it over and over again. That's who this game's for. It's, it's $40 of a smaller tier, more niche, more nerdy Star Wars game for those people that just need Star Wars all the time. And it's an opportunity for EA to say, hey, look, Disney, we're making, we're, we're getting goodwill. No microtransactions. $40, uh, very short announced to release cycle story content. This is a very consumer friendly release. And so I think that's really all this is about is being so, so that by the time this is out, assuming that it's well received and, and people are happy with it, that EA can be like, look, Disney, I know we had we got off some wrong footing. We didn't have a steady release of games at first. People were really shitting on those Battlefront games, but we turned Battlefront 2 around. People were really happy with it by the end of its content release life. Uh, we released Jedi Fallen Order, which was objective, like which is arguably one of the best games of 2019. And then we did this dogfighting game, and people, you know, everyone, everyone except Michael Vick really likes dogfighting, so it's, it's a great game for everyone all around. So I think that's really what this is about, because I don't really understand. I thought... I was under the impression that the Star Wars license expired in like 2020, 2021. So it really should be any minute now, but I could be mistaken. It might be 2022 or 2023. So they may have a little longer with it than I initially thought. But I think that's really all this is about is is building up some goodwill, getting a couple of smaller, easier to turn around, um, like smaller development cycle Star Wars games out in the market so they can get some Metacritic bumps, get some sales bumps, and then show it to Disney and be like, the reason why you need to let us continue to have sole exclusivity of this property instead of letting everyone have free reign over it is because this is what we brought to the table. This is the number of games we were able to sell. This is the kind of Metacritic scores we were able to achieve. This is how we preserve the Star Wars brand in terms of favorite ability and I think they're trying to get garner all of those things so they can present that to Disney and make an argument because if EA views Star Wars anything like how they view NFL that it's a property that they so desperately want to hold all to themselves and I firmly believe that's what they want with Star Wars so I firmly believe this is just their next their next play in their in their attempt to preserve sole exclusivity over this license with I guess the exception of like Lego Star Wars games which always seem to be the exception but yeah I don't have much more to say to this I'm I want to be excited about this game but I'm just not you know if you read the press release they even say that they talk about like it sounds a little too much like Battlefront 2 where it's like wait you play as bad guys and good guys and and it's right after the event of Return of the Jedi isn't that what you did in in the Battlefront 2 campaign. And then, and then it says you'll meet like favorable characters or memorable characters from the Star Wars franchise. I'm like, wait, that's the problem with Battlefront 2's campaign is it's like a really compelling first level or two. And then it just devolves into bullshit where you just like start meeting Luke Skywalker and Leia and Han Solo and this tiny universe where there's only 10 characters and you just conveniently run into all of them. And it just does like the whole like greatest hits thing. It's like, if it sounds like they're gearing up to do that again, which I think is a huge mistake, but I could just be over analyzing that press release. But nonetheless, I, I am pretty confident that this game will play it safe and, and cater to a very specific and niche audience and, and be for star Wars fans and space combat fans. So that's why it's cheaper. That's why they're kind of making a smaller deal about it. That's why it's, you know, this, but it's a, it's a two pronged play of garnering some money from this, from this IP they've been squandering garnering some goodwill with the fans and um, building a case to get on Disney's good side. And that's, that's my two cents, but 
I don't really know jack shit, so we will instead talk about how games are selling, which doesn't affect me because I don't get any money off these, unfortunately. So I don't know why I would. I don't, I don't do anything. But here are the top 20 best-selling games in the U.S. for the month of May 2020, as the NPD numbers are in, my friends. So starting from number one and going all the way down to 20, and, and remember, as we had our discussion with Mr. Mr. Lethal Migraine, we, we now know that, of course, NPD does not include digital Nintendo eShop sales, does not include Steam sa- uh, sales numbers, and Minecraft digital sales include Xbox One and PlayStation 4, but not Nintendo or iPhone or Android, which I think that's really important because if you if it doesn't include Nintendo or iOS sales, I think it's pretty safe, or Android sales, I think it's pretty safe to assume every time you see Minecraft floating around at like number 14 or whatever, it's actually at like number one or two because, I mean, you, there are millions and millions and millions of Android and iOS devices out there in the market, far more than there are PlayStations or Xboxes, so... You know, and people are buying that $6 Minecraft iOS version left and right. So Minecraft's probably making crack money that we don't know about uh, from NPD alone. But starting with the number one, going down to number 20, this, a lot of this will sound very familiar to you. But if you start with Call of Duty Modern Warfare, number one best-selling game of May. Uh, Grand Theft Auto Five at number two because fuck me, I guess you can make a game and have it be the best-selling game for se- se- fucking what is it, seven years, eight years? Animal Crossing: New Horizons, pretty understandable, very well, very great selling game, but also very respectable because it's not including digital sales and it's only on one platform. And then we got NBA 2K20, Mortal Kombat 11 at number five. Number six has Red Dead Redemption 2. Seven has Minecraft. 8 has Final Fantasy 7 Remake, 9 has Assassin's Creed Odyssey, 10 is Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, 11 Madden NFL 20, 12 Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, 13 Need for Speed Heat, Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition at number 14, Minecraft Dungeons at number 15, Saints Row the Third Remastered at number 16, 17 is MLB The Show 20, 18 is Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, 19 Call of Duty Black Ops 3, 20 FIFA 20. This is really important because, really, I mean, I'm not going to get into the whole, like, Call of Duty, Grand Theft Auto, Minecraft shit because that that stuff's just, you know, it's the same conversation every month. I try and, I don't want to get tread too much familiar territory, but this is the part that blows my mind is Minecraft Dungeons, which, you know, you don't expect it to, to light the world on fire the way the original Minecraft did, but Minecraft Dungeons, which you expect to sell pretty well just because it's Minecraft, hits the number 15 spot, okay? So that does not include... Switch sales digitally. It just includes physical Switch, uh, digital and physical PS4, and digital and physical Xbox. But you also got to remember, Minecraft is an Xbox Game Studios game, and it's part of Game Pass. So th- you're you're not getting a lot of players who are downloading the game digitally on Switch and playing the game via Game Pass on Xbox. So those two things are really important to note. But still. I expect it to be higher up than 15 because what you also see here is Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, which is only on Switch. And again, it's Nintendo, so it doesn't have digital. Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, only on Switch and doesn't include digital and super fucking old. And Animal Crossing New Horizons, which is only on Switch and we don't have digital numbers, are all way, like, a little higher to significantly higher on the list than Minecraft Dungeons, which is just mind-blowing. So I understand it's like... Uh, we don't know to the extent that Game Pass is really affecting Xbox sales. It could be quite dramatic, and I assume it is on Xbox, but still, like, between between PlayStation and Switch alone, you expect Minecraft Dungeons to at least be in the top 10, but 15, that's like, what the fuck, man? It's just amazing that a game like Xenoblade Chronicles, a game where you play as a little anime boy with a sword with Swiss cheese holes in it that goes around talking to demons with little boobies that shake, is selling more units than, like, the most family-friendly, fun, and frantic dungeon crawler set in the Minecraft universe. 
That is why I cry at night. This is why I fucking hope that I never have a child because I don't want to bring a child into this monstrosity of a world we live in. Because we live in a world where a game like Minecraft Dungeons that's so inoffensive and so charming and so fun for all can sell worse across three platforms than across four platforms, excuse me, I forgot PC, than Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, a game where you portray a young Japanese boy attempting to get stronger so that you can prove yourself worthy while you fight your way through hordes of of characters shaped like body parts and women that speak in ultra-high-pitched voices and shake their butts around in quote-unquote armor suits that somehow still shows way too much cleavage to really protect their bodies. Just, just want to put that in perspective. This is pathetic and really hard, dis- disheartening. But we will, we will try to move on. We will try to survive. Would you like to know the top ten best-selling Xbox One games for the month of May? Maybe that'll make you feel a little better since there's no Xenoblade. But we got even more predictable. We got Call of Duty: Modern Warfare, Grand Theft Auto Five, Assassin's Creed Origin, Minecraft Dungeons at number four, Mortal Kombat 11, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, NBA 2K 20 at seven. Saints Row the Third remastered at eight, Madden NFL twenty at nine, and at ten we got Call of Duty Modern Warfare two remastered. So Minecraft Dungeons four this offers some more insight because it's number four on Xbox despite Game Pass, but it's number fifteen on overall despite Game Pass not being represented and Nintendo digital sales not being represented. That means that means between PlayStation five digital and physical, and then digital and physical on Xbox digital. Uh, on PC and physical on Switch, we're still not even cracking the top 10, but yet we can get Xenoblades, Swiss Cheese Chronicles of Big Boobies beating it out on Nintendo Switch physical sales alone. I just want you to know there's a place in hell for each and every one of us. Our next story here, Lord Save Us All for Square Enix have announced Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memory, a rhythm game coming to Xbox One and other platforms later in 2020. It looks like a regular rhythm game, but not really because it features the characters you love from Disney clashed together with some of the weebiest, most weeb-ass fuckboy shit uh, as they run along a strip of musical road, slashing and spellcasting their way through the music of Disney that you once loved but now made unpure and unsafe. A trailer exists, but I recommend you stay away from it. In fact, I recommend you just forget I even say anything at all. I don't want to talk about this story, but Kingdom Hearts is getting a little melody rhythm game. Uh, I just I want to put this in the stories that aren't too big for a big story, but I feel like it's too notable to, to not put here. People really love Kingdom Hearts, um, and rhythm games are fun. Maybe, hell, maybe this will be the first Kingdom Hearts game I like, because I actually like some of the Kingdom Hearts music for all the... Uh, shitting on the franchise I do. I don't like a lot of the, the lyrics because it makes no fucking sense, but there are a lot of pretty songs in the Kingdom Hearts universe, um, and uh, I don't know. I don't really feel comfortable knowing that Winnie the Pooh is going to be wielding a sword, running around a musical highway, hacking and slashing his way to the beats of the Kingdom Hearts 2 OST, but this is the world we live in, where where Winnie the Pooh can wield a sword and, and anime boys can... Sw- swing their swords at, at fake boobies and sell better than Minecraft. So our next story, we're not, I just don't even know what to say about it. Our next story here is that the June 2020 Xbox One update is here and with it comes some notable changes in a press release from Microsoft they outline the big three categories receiving changes for this month's update. And I should preface, this is the final news story of the week, so hang on if you're wondering why the story won't end. So first off, we've got the home update. Uh, in June, they, they say that the June update adds overlays to the My Game tiles in My Games and Apps. Home and the guide button make it easier to tell at a glance where you got 
where you have your game. This release will support games on Xbox Game Pass, Live, Xbox Live Gold, and EA Access subscriptions. So this will make it easier for you to be like, oh, do I have that game through Games with Gold? Did I buy it? Is it Game Pass? Is it an EA Access game? Which I actually kind of like this feature because I find this happens every now and then where I try to like boot up a game and it's like, oh, I have this game. And I'm like, oh, wait, no, I don't. It was on Game Pass and it got removed from Game Pass and now it's asking me to buy it because I don't have it anymore. So this is nice to kind of put a little like, indicator on it so you're like oh that's the ea access game that's a this game so it just kind of helps you like mentally organize your shit and know what you have and how you have it and what subscriptions are allowing you access to what games you're playing so nice little like quality of life little touch there but our number two of three here is that the memberships have been overhauled memberships of any xbox game pass membership or xbox live gold membership will also now see a badge next to the gamer tag on the home and in the guide uh, menu highlighting those memberships so this is i guess you'll like look at me you'll you look me up you would be like second best zero four on xbox one you're like oh look he's got a little xbox game pass ultimate badge showing that he's super legit and then he spends 15 dollars a month on on access to xbox so that's that's it's like a social status thing so that's nice i i guess it's i don't know the thing i liked the most that they ever did with this was was like when it shows like how long you've been an xbox live subscriber so you click on someone's profile it's like oh wow you've been on xbox live for 13 years that means you uh survived 9-11 good for you and it's just kind of one of those like little cool stamps it's like checking your time card on a game it just makes you feel like you're kind of cool for being a loser and then number three of three the third update is the official clubs page which are you know official clubs for those who are unfamiliar are created and managed by game developers and their community managers and serve as an official source for information and updates so with clubs on xbox now it can be tough of course to immediately tell if you're uh the one looking at the official club so they've added a verification badges to make it easier to see when clubs are run by developers directly so this way you're like oh i'm on the destiny club looking for people to explain why the fuck you no longer have a leveling system I was just light level and then you go in there and you see a guy with like the verification badge like the check mark on Twitter I suppose and he'll be like hey I'm a Bungie developer the reason why we took out the leveling system is because we want you to buy the season pass you'll be like oh now, I, now I'm enlightened and then so that's a again this whole the theme of this is like little check marks and, and little verifications to show what who people are and what they have access to so nice little just clarification quality of life thing uh I'm a fan of all that. I'm excited to start seeing those little logos so people can see that I subscribe to Game Pass Ultimate so they can see that I'm certainly not a developer when they see me in an Xbox community. But that's going to do it for all of our, our news this week. We will now jump into the important news stories. Stories important enough to make the podcast but not important enough to warrant their own discussion. Of which we have a handful, so let's just shit through them. We've got number one Capcom shared news this week that its long-running horror franchise Resident Evil has surpassed 100 million copies sold. A major milestone stone for the series and this comes right off the back of the release of resident evil 3 remake which has already sold over 2 million copies in its first two weeks of release as well as the announcement of its next major resident evil game resident evil village which will be coming to xbox series x and ps5 at a undisclosed time probably next year pax has announced that it will replace pax west and pax australia live events this year with pax online an all-new digital event an all-new digital virtual event. PAX Online will take place September 12th through 20th and will be free to attend. Next up, we've got the IGN reports. Planet Coaster Console Edition will launch on Xbox Series X during holiday 2020. It will arrive for Xbox One on the same day. Next, we've got that extending through... Uh, June 22nd, 
grounded flight, the grounded test flight will be available uh, for accepted Xbox insiders and the Xbox Insider Hub and Steam clients as part of the Steam Game Festival as a single player demo. Grounded will enter Xbox Game Preview and with Xbox Game Pass Ultimate and Steam Early Access on July 28th, 2020. IGN reports that Remedy Games have announced via Twitter that Control will officially be coming to PS5 and Xbox Series X. With no release date or further details being discussed, it's safe to say the enhanced visuals and performance are likely the things that will be added to the game, uh, which is exciting. That means I can play all my DLC for Control on the Series X. First-person parkour slasher game Ghost Runner is now officially confirmed for Xbox One and will release sometime in 2020. Developer Red Barrels have announced that Outlast Trials will be coming to Xbox platforms in 2021. The game will be set in a Cold War era setting. Xbox have announced the Xbox Family Settings app, available now in preview. On Android and iOS, which make it easy to manage family settings from anywhere, the app allows for parental controls options like screen time limits, content filters, play in play and communication settings, and activity reports. Microsoft Bing is now available for Xbox as a standalone app that is currently in preview. The interface has been optimized to take advantage of the Xbox One. The app is currently available now in the US. This one I thought I'd just throw in there just because I saw it right before I started recording, but in honor of Pride Week, uh, you know, Microsoft has done, Microsoft's always been a big kind of advocator of Pride, Pride Month. I should, did I say Pride Week? I meant Pride Month. But Microsoft's always been a big advocator of Pride Month. They've actually always done shit. This isn't, I don't know. It's always seemed a little more genuine with Microsoft just because they were one of the ones kind of doing it before it was cool, so to speak. So I don't know. I, this really has nothing to do with Pride Month. Um, well, I guess it kind of does, but I'm bringing this up to say that they've released an Xbox Pride 2020 t-shirt that's available on the Microsoft Store online. And I'm mostly telling you this because it's a really cool looking shirt, not even because, you know, I mean, I should be telling you because we should be in support of Pride Month, but I'm really telling you it for more selfish reasons that I just think the shirt's really cool. So it's just a white t-shirt with the Xbox logo, but instead of like the silver Xbox circle with the X in it, it's like all rainbow colors, but it's not like the generic pride colors. It's like, it all looks like just random streaks of like blotchy colors that are all interconnected and kind of unrelated. And they're random like shapes and patterns. And it looks just kind of like finger paint scratch marks. And I just, I don't know. I actually think it just looks cool from like, kind of like a, quirky like street art perspective and less of like you know just like it has a social statement which of course it does but i just think it's a cool shirt you might want to look out for it if you're looking for cool xbox merch uh it's 25 bucks on the store i would buy it except for the fact that it's only sold in white and even though i think it looks really good in white um my uh sweaty ass armpits will surely stain the shirt in no time flat or i'll get like some fucking pizza stains on it so i have learned from experience not to buy white t-shirts as much as i like white t-shirts um but if it weren't for that, if it was, if, if I could buy the shirt in black or something, I, I would, it's a cool shirt. Uh, so maybe, maybe you'd be interested in that. But our last one here, our last little quick one is that according to Xbox, the following titles have been scheduled to be leaving Xbox game pass in the near future. And they are as follows Metro Exodus, ACA, Neo Geo, Metal Slug X, Life is Strange, the complete season, Neo Chrome, rip, Shadow Tactics, Blades of the Shogun, SteamWorld Dig 2, and the flame in the bl- in the flood. So, sayonara to all those games, and that is going to do it for all of our news this week. Thank you for bearing through to for, through the longest episode of Xbox On. I don't know why this is the longest episode. I don't know what has fueled me. I don't know. It sounds like I fucking like snorted some cocaine and I'm on some high, but I, I, I promise I'm straight edge for life, and I'm uh, just I guess just uh, unusually excited 
about Xbox. It's this recording this podcast, I guess, is the bright spot in my otherwise kind of dull week. So here we are talking about Xbox for two hours. But now I will go into our age old tradition. Um, the Xbox Wire has posted the new game releases of the week unlike last week when they totally forgot to do that. So we will continue our tradition of going over the new game releases and assuming what the game is solely based on the title of the game, the release date, and the the accompanying screenshot, singular screenshot of the game. So our first game this week is called Desperados 3, which is Spanish for Despacito, which is a song for those of you who are uneducated. So this is probably a rhythm game, but unlike Kingdom Hearts, this game is set in the Wild West. So it's about cowboys dancing and singing along. So I see some cowboys. I see some pack mules. I see some uh, adobo-looking, adobo, kudo, adobo. What is that style of architecture called? Looking villages. I see i see a tree i see some rope i see some cattle this is a good rhythm game this is the kind of rhythm game that's not so much about the music or the rhythm or the kind of satisfaction of like nailing a a combo but more so about you know the utility of rhythm it's about the rhythm of working the land and working the farm and that's what these despacitos are doing they're trying to work the farm they're trying to till the gardens and ride the cattle and milk the sheep and all that because they're they're living that rancher style life and they're trying to to make an honest living and that's really what despacito 3 is all about our next game here is called the colt canyon which is um really hard to see not only because it's like four bit but because it's also in like a sepia tone so it looks like a, a map of like Minnesota or something from out. I don't know. Maybe it's Minnesota. There's an outhouse. So I assume this is really a game about taking a shit. So Colt Canyon, more like uh Colt Canyon. Shut, shut this game off because I don't want to play it. But yeah, if you like games like um, West of Loathing and uh, Trail of Tears and which is not a game and I, uh, Oregon Trail is what I'm trying to say. Goddamn. My fucking historically insensitive ass. But that's a game. Our next game here is called Disintegration, where you play as a robot mounted to the back of a robotic steed. This is disgusting because what's really interesting about this game is, first of all, it's Xbox One X enhanced, so it looks visually stunning. Um, But what's really disgusting about this game is you think because it's set in the future where robot ships, spaceships, robot people and everything, you would think it's really progressive and it's we've, we've moved past this kind of whole like... Uh, owning animals and using animals as utility and kind of seeing animals as subservient. But clearly the developers at disintegration are not uh, ideologically in line with the, with the founding principles of PETA because in this game, you don't give a shit that your grav cycle is a, is a leaving a living, breathing um, sentient um, robotic being. In fact, you will just sit on that bitch and ride it hard without any remorse for its robot feeling ass and that's really what disintegration is all about. It's about it's all about disintegrating our humanity into uh, still seeing ourselves, those with human figures and those with human articulation, as superior to those with horse-like or mammal or, or, or four-legged mammal um, creatures. So I know it's a robot. I know it's I know it's a a floating gravity motorcycle thing, but it still has feelings. It still has rights to be loved and to be free. That's just fucked up that, you know, I expect better from the people who made Halo. I expect some more respect for the PETA community circa 2099. So it's really unfortunate to know that, you know, at least through their vision of the future, we're still going to be owning horses and, and kind of 
enslaving them um, as we do today. Because I would really love to see a world where horses are equal, where, you know, a man can marry a horse and a horse can be, you know, treated with respect. And we won't use derogatory terms like horsing around or beating a dead horse or beating off and things like that. But unfortunately, the developers of Disintegration have no respect for our fellow horse. So that's what that game is. You can play it if you're a piece of shit, but I know you're not, so I know you're not going to play it. Our next game here is called Radio Squid, which is really interesting because there's no radios in this game after all. I do see a, I do see a squid. I do see a musical symbol. I do see a Zelda-looking dungeon. And the problem is I don't see what this has to do with the radio. I don't know the developers are smart enough to understand what a radio is, but there's a difference between a musical symbol and a radio. A radio is a thing that plays musical symbols, and a musical symbol is a thing that comes from radio. So this is not... These things are not mutually exclusive. You can have musical symbols emitting from other musically related instruments. So, for example, I could play a a piano and musical symbols would emit from it. I can play a radio and musical symbols would emit from it. I can play a MacBook running GarageBand and musical symbols would emit from it. But musical symbols are not necessarily radios, if that makes sense. You know how they say uh, a rectangle is a square, but not all squares are rectangles. So I just need these. I just need the developers of Radio Squid to explain to me why they think why they have such a great comprehension of what a squid is, a creature that lives deep in the ocean, far from humanity. But they don't know what a fucking radio is, something that we see all the time at our local Radio Shack. So this is just beyond me that we can't comprehend a, a radio, but we know what squids look like. So that's a stupid game for stupid people. So I'm sure you all play because. Everyone but me is stupid, apparently. And then our next game is called Session, period. So this is a game... If you were if if you were one to be easily fooled, you would think this is a skateboarding game. And I guess it is, but the problem with this game is it's really low. The camera's stupid low. So the camera is facing from the ground looking up at the skater. So the skater's performing an awesome grind trick, and that's fantastic for him. But... He's <laughs> for some fucking reason the camera is looking up at him, so you can't actually get proper perspective. So if you're trying to land the jump, you can't fucking do it because the camera is facing upwards. So you can see the top of the building, the top of the skater, the sky, but you don't see the ground. So this is, I guess, this session is a, a skateboarding game where you try to skate without seeing the gr- seeing the ground. So. This is like the floor is lava, I guess, for skateboarding or some shit like that. It's a really stupid idea for a game. I understand you want to set yourself apart from Tony Hawk, but I don't think the way to do that is to eliminate the ground view player, ground view uh, camera setting for the player. Um, but I, I like, who am I? I guess you know, maybe I'm wrong. The game is Xbox Enhanced, X, X, Xbox One X Enhanced, so possibly those enhancements will allow you to see things that will negate the need for seeing where your skateboard is in regards to the ground. Um, But I just can't possibly fathom a skateboarding game where you don't see where your skateboard or where the ground is, but you just see like from the waist up. This is a very stupid game. The theme of this week's episode in, in, in these games is everyone is stupid, but me. Our next game here is called next game here is called uh, Timberman versus this is actually an awesome game. Cause you play as a very heavy set sumo wrestler with a pickaxe or not a pickaxe, a, a wood chopping axe. And you are, Chopping trees. I think that's a fucking awesome game, and I have nothing to say about that. This is, in fact, I want to correct something I said. I'm not even sure this is a sumo wrestler. This could be just a very, very large infant child. This could be 
just a a child who consumed a lot of breast milk and simply is large, and I think that's pretty awesome. Our next game here is called Waking. It comes out on June 18th. Um, this is a game about a man who is knowingly walking into a demon's uh, presence. So Waking is, I don't know, it's basically, it seems emblematic of me every time I wake up for work when I basically wake up and I get out of bed and I just walk into a dark abyss, a, a demon that wants nothing but to kill me. It's, I guess it's emblematic for those who work day jobs uh, and have to wake up every weekday morning to go to a job. So that's a, a game that's a little too real for my liking. Our next two games are a little redundant. We got Namco Museum Archives Volume 1 and Namco Museum Archives Volume 2. Now, the only difference I can seem to make of this is they're the same game. The, the only thing is Volume 1 is in a purple font and Volume 2 is in a green font. So I don't think the difference is the games or what they offer. I think it's really just about colors. So, like, if you're a bigger fan of purple or a bigger fan of green, personally, I like both colors, but I would go with purple. So I recommend you go with Volume 1. I think it's the same shit either way, but if you like green over purple, go with Volume 2. That's completely up to you. Uh, our next game here is called A Bard's Tale ARPG, which stands for Another RPG. Uh, it is remastered and re-snarkled, according to the tagline. Now, this is about some fucking idiot holding a sword in a in an old European setting. There is a woman uh, who is scantily clad and a man holding a sword. Uh, it's terrifyingly close to his leg. So, I'm, I don't understand. Is this like he's trying to show so much respect for this woman who is being a little bit too revealing so he's trying not to look her direction and he's like threatening himself he's like oh my god i'm gonna turn around and look at this woman who i shouldn't be looking at you know what i know how to stop myself i'll fucking use a sword and cut my leg off so i guess this is a game about like what extents are you willing to go to to be a respectful gentleman and to not go around looking at women in a negative light because you're a pervy animalistic male uh but in the background we see some men drinking beer so it's probably also a beer drinking simulator so if you're into if you're into um if you're into craft brews this might be the game for you it's on game pass too so what do you have to lose our next game is 1x enhanced so you know it's a good one but it's called hard west ultimate edition i'm not interested in hard west because we already know about despacitos 3 so i'm going to recommend you play despacitos 3 because hard west you just see like shadowy figures of cowboys so I guess this is like, you know, the haunting of the Old West. And I feel like that theme has been done to death already. So I'm not really into that game. But that's going to do it for all of our games this week. As always, guys, remember we got some Game Pass or Games with Gold titles. So if you haven't already downloaded, the ones that we still have left for the week are Sign Mora, which is on the 360 side. And then on the uh, Xbox One side, you've got Coffee Talk and Shantae and the Pirate's Curse. So you can still download those three games. You, you missed out on Destroy All Humans if you didn't download it. I think I didn't, so fuck me. Um, but yeah, that's it. That's it for this week's episode. As always, I appreciate you hanging through. Don't know why this episode's so long. Don't know why I had so much shit talking to do in the way of PlayStation. But I think I think PlayStation did a pretty decent job overall. I think Xbox is going to do a better job. I think we need to stop being so fanboy about hating PlayStation just because we don't like PlayStation. And Lethal Migraine, I do apologize if you felt like I was coming after you. I, I didn't mean to. I just... Uh, you know I love you. Thank you all for listening. If you want to follow me on social media, I'll be tweeting from the Walgreens account all this week. I have a exclusive partnership with them. They are allowing me, you know, I'll be taking their medication testing uh, to see the effects of 
of prescription drugs on on Xbox gamers and in exchange they will be they will be giving me blind access to their Twitter account so I'll be able to uh, tweet silly and inappropriate things from the Walgreens account. So definitely check out Walgreens uh, Drugstore on Twitter to see what I have to say this week. If you like me on YouTube, check me out at Second Best Gaming, all one word. I'm on YouTube. You can listen to the podcast there. Special shout out. The show is growing somehow. It's doing really well on Spotify. It's doing all right on other platforms. I don't really give a shit how you listen. I just care that you're listening. And I really appreciate anyone who listens. I really appreciate those who write into the show and those who review it. Remember, if you're going to review the show, only give me five stars. I don't really care about your constructive feedback. I just want blind uh, praise and favoritism. So five stars only. Thank you so much as always, guys. And until next week's show, Eric will play us out with another rerun because he still hasn't released new songs. Take it away, buddy.